it's funny because there's pages I follow tattoo pages where they'll show people that copied other people's tattoos and it'll be like a chest tattoo and it had like the nipple in it. So whenever they did the the bad copy of it, the copy had like the little nipple oh, in no. the tattoo too. So you see stuff like that. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> you got some other dude's nipple tattooed above your own nipple. <laughs> it's hilarious. Everybody, we are back with another episode of Growing Up Christian. I'm Sam. I'm Casey. I'm Jeremiah. And Casey's going to bring us a hot topic tonight. Uh, not hot topic in the sense of that cool store that you hang out in, uh, trying to figure out which you know cool scene kid merch you should buy or where you watch. Is it cool your anymore? Favorite emo band do some bullshit acoustic set uh, in the middle of or the back of the store, uh, but hot topic in that it's relevant for today. And uh, it's an interesting time to have that conversation because I had four hours of sleep last night and Casey decided that now is the time to bring something uh, topical. I don't know. It's, it's an intro. It's an intro, but Casey wants well, to have a, a serious conversation guys. And uh, I don't know. That don't say anything anti-Semitic because I'm not editing this. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's not gonna. That's tough. That I mean, is I, a that's I'm a sleepy. powerful starter never right know there. It's gonna slip out. I'm a, <laughs> look, listen. I'm a straight white male. You never know what internalized racism is gonna slip out when I'm tired. It's you don't think it's there, and then it just pops out, and you it's a problem. And now I have a lot to worry about with you not editing. Um, You're no more despicable than the average American. So. I, that's that. generally what I go for is just trying to like ride that middle <laughs> lane of not more or less despicable than others. But um, you got I a great wanna... abhorrence on a on a curve here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> curve. Uh, last night I uh, on a Sunday night, it, dude. It's so funny. I had several people today send me uh, a meme, which I think has circulated the internet a good bit. But it's basically like. I don't know. What's that wrinkly faced Reddit monster looking man that just shows up with like, it looks like his face is melting with all the forehead wrinkles. Um, no, just one of the mean faces. Is it a a person? Oh, oh yeah. That, yeah. I'm showing it on my face. Yeah. Is that soy face? I don't know. Uh, but it's like the meme was stop giving me your toughest battles, talking to Jesus and Jesus replying. You literally went to a concert when you had work in the morning. Uh, and that's what I did uh, Sunday night. We're recording this Monday night. Um, the hotel year is back after uh, almost a decade of not doing anything. Last time I saw them was maybe their last tour 10 years ago, uh, playing with Foxing. Foxing's a fantastic band. Um, Foxing is great. Foxing opened for brand new when I saw them. Um, and then Foxing also just did a song with Carly Cosgrove, who opened for the Wonder Years and uh, Hot Mulligan when I saw them earlier this year. Yeah. So that was and like they, a very weird crossover. They recently went on tour with Manchester Orchestra as well. Um, nice. They're doing great shit. But what's crazy is the last time I saw Foxing was 10 years ago when they opened for the Hotelier. And then the most recent time I saw them, uh, or the only other time I've seen them, was last night when... Uh, Foxing and the hotelier are on tour together. Um, 
And it's the they were the one Foxy was on tour the hotel year last time hotel year was actually on tour. So they played uh home like no places there for the front to back and uh God, it was awesome. Uh a buddy of mine plays in the hotel year, so it was really nice to just see that. Uh, to see him play, to enjoy that. It was also dope because you get that like cool, uh, the cool VIP experience of just getting that cool balcony right next to the stage and you don't have to like suffer crowds and you can just sit up and look down at the stage and drink your beer and not be bothered by other people. It was beautiful. I don't know any bands that you say anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing. I don't know any of those bands or what they sound like. Sam went right from sounding like the old guy in the room talking about, I have this meme. Can I describe this? I know. I've seen this meme before. God. Right to Casey. (laughs) Thank you for calling me out. Is that a, is that a new, is that a band? Do they do a TikTok? What is. (laughs) Uh, You guys like five finger death punch? Yeah. (laughs) Not really. Is which five uh which finger one? or five fingered i yeah I, it's it's one or the other the which uh which monster death punch is a very unfortunate situation for a lot of young ladies out there <laughs> all right which monster are you drinking tonight all right Casey? i just finished a prime i've kind of switched to prime and i don't know if that's an upward up. or a, a downward move it's, at least it's in a it's in like a candom at least it's not celsius Okay, so is Prime, is that the Jake Paul one or Logan Paul one? Yeah, it is, unfortunately. <laughs> I can't help. It's delicious. Oh, my God. What does it taste like in comparison to like sugar-free monster? I think the white sugar-free monster is so good that I have to restrict myself to have like one every three or four months because if I let myself go, I'll become like a raving fiend. So would you so say how you're a, compared to that? Would you say you're a white sugar-free monster supremacist or... <laughs> Uh yeah, actually no, I'll co-sign that. that that's right. <laughs> Got you there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This one's fruit punch. God, the, they arguably have, like, the worst flavor that's ever existed, ever. Now, come on now. Fruit I like punch? fruit punch. Fuck. Really? That. I mean, a banana flavored like All right. energy drink would be banana worse. Banana runs. <laughs> it's banana run flavored energy drink. <laughs> This is a uh, beef bouillon. What if there was one that was like just energy flavored? Like it's, it's just energy. It tastes like a little bit like an electrical fire. It's like battery acid, which is what electrical fire. It tastes like electrical fire smells. It smells like you need a new hair dryer. Really, it's just a bunch them. of pennies. They just have pennies in a sock. They dip into it. While... I'm getting it smells like you were the first. It. <laughs> wait did you guys have you seen this new um it got advertised to me so it probably got advertised to you too because you know we're white white men on instagram um bump have you seen bump no no it's snortable caffeine Fuck. no you gotta be kidding me it's That's... called want want bump.com big so energy good. anytime anywhere they need to How be our first be? real sponsor uh, one, of their, one of the things at the top of their website, they have the FAQ section. What is it? How does it work? What does it feel like? And then one of them is called, let's address the elephant in the room. <laughs> it is a white powder you buy in a bottle that snorted. You snort it and it's caffeine. How That's does fantastic. this get approved? Like, how can that be safe? I mean, how? I, well, 
It our mission, gonna, we're going to start drawing bottom. lines around what's safe and healthy exactly. in, our, our in mission this is country. To, yeah, you're drinking a Logan Paul energy drink. Like, don't, <laughs> <laughs> there's not even a high horse to get off of. Dude, you live on Kratom and drink Logan Paul energy and you're concerned about what's safe and healthy. <laughs> Kratom is natural, I think. <laughs> Everything's natural. Stay woke. <laughs> oh, my God. <sighs> well... Let's get into the big topic of the night, Casey. Because yeah, my skin's intro. vibrating. Let's and go. You, you picked something heavy to give us what twenty three minutes to spend on. So let's roll into it. Okay. So the hot topic this week, uh, well, over the weekend and stuff, is um, there's been a, a series of viral TikToks where young people are reading Osama bin Laden's letter to America. And and then posting like their reaction to it and basically okay. being like, oh, my God, everything I thought I knew was wrong or like I'm going through an existential crisis right now and like encouraging other people to read it. OK, um, so I read it, Jeremiah read it, and I watched probably eight different media outlets reaction to the the story and it's dude right left msnbc cnn fox news sky news whatever like they all of those are exactly the same it is like the exact same reaction to it like oh my god 9 11 3 000 people died right? like and basically just calling everyone under the age of like 40 stupid does that mean we're past the conspiracy theory that bin Laden didn't actually have anything to do with 9-11 and that all the videos that he's in were dubbed? Uh, I don't think conspiracy theories like that don't ever really go away. So, no. Less relevant? Is that then? a popular one? Uh, that's I, I just remember... Um, I don't remember which uh, conspiracy video on 9-11 it was that I watched, but it was like... It, it was like... It was basically saying that, like, uh, all the videos that we have of Osama bin Laden talking about why he did 9 11, uh, they're dubbed in English. And it's like, well, how do, basically stating that they dubbed it wrong to create an admission of guilt as though they couldn't be verified by someone who speaks Arabic to prove that it was what he oh. said. But. Yeah. It's some bullshit, Dude. but that was a conspiracy theory is that like Osama bin Laden's the fall guy and they made him quote unquote guilty of 9-11 because he was a thorn in their side and that Al-Qaeda didn't really have it out for America in the same way, but it was a problem. I don't know. Basically, like America so we're somewhere between that and eliminating his face being on like Shea Guevara T-shirts. Like yeah. we probably have another 20 years to go before that happens. I yeah. think this <laughs> this latest thing is somewhere right in the middle of right that. Smack that. Yeah, yeah, but that was a conspiracy theory. And I didn't know if that had co- like was coming up or if like uh, it's too far. Because the generation that's really probably talking about this the most is the one that didn't actually have any recollection or live through 9-11 in any memorable sense. Because we were young. Yeah, they're we pretty were, young. What, we were 11, uh, 2001. So, uh, yeah, but we also like, but that means we grew up like during the aftermath for of sure. 9-11, 14? which I think is a, is more significant. This letter was written in 2002. This was written after 9-11. Okay. Um, and okay. So it really, it informs more of like 
the country's response, not this letter specifically, but more like the country's response for the next five or six years after yeah, 9-11 yeah. than it is about 9-11 itself. Yeah. And I think, uh, well, like the take from all of the media outlets was ex- like I said, exactly the same. It was like young people are stupid. They don't know anything about history from 20 years ago. I mean, just it, there was a lot of that. It was a, a lot of, you know, the, the same, like, dispel story buzzwords like anti-semitism and conspiracy like they love dude everything's it's constant like they just label things conspiracy theories to get rid of them you know left left labels everything a conspiracy theory the right probably labels it anti-semitism that's my guess no No, the right labels everything like it's it's the demon liberals eating the babies no no everyone can be anti-semitic that's not that's not a left or right thing um the the right the right media outlets blamed it on you know public education and you know liberal <laughs> okay, activism yeah. and the right and the and the left media outlets blamed it on like they they had to make a point of like well this is circulating now in right wing conspiracy theory channels and stuff it's like oh god just it's the no, least productive no, way to talk about it you know? yeah yeah like no just the interest in like like let's let's not interact with the actual conversation let's just yeah, Which, it's just like a misplaced. I'll give Newsweek blame. some credit. So Newsweek, like they, their article, the one that you sent us, Casey, it starts out talking about how, like, here's some of the reactions to it. You know, this is a letter that it's been publicly available. It just it's kind of come back up and become popular again. People are rediscovering it. A generation that wasn't alive or was very very young when this happened is rediscovering it. I like though. All right, the full transcript of the letter can be found below. Please note that this document was written with propagandistic intent from an international terrorist and mass murderer. And I, I actually like that they did that. Like That's they did, a pretty fair way of putting it. <laughs> they didn't mince words because like I, I can totally see how if you I'm sure we're going to read some excerpts or something. But like if you had no background context um, and you grew up believing just the rah-rah version of, you know, of events, they hate us for our freedom, et cetera. Sure, yeah, that's like that. Rightly read this letter classic. and be like, wait a second. There's a whole lot of things in here I've never heard before. This is nuts. Why wasn't I told all of this? It's also important to remember a lot of the things in here aren't true. Like he he blames the Jews for a lot of stuff. And I have a hard time connecting some of these dots as I was reading the letter. I had to read through parts of it again. I'm like, I don't really think that Jews have anything to do with this. Like they're it's <laughs> they, actually like they they govern the Philippines. Right. Yeah. So or, I, I kind of I, I started out reading it being more like oh yeah, this is all the same stuff I've heard before. And then it's like, oh no, there actually is some new stuff in here. And then by the end, I actually circled back around to, I think he might just hate us. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I only got the opportunity to skim it. And it was like, one of the things that stuck out to me was like, and of course, yeah, I get, you know, you might be saying like, well, why, you know, nine 11 that attacked uh, civilians. And it's like, well, civilians pay taxes. And so there is no innocence. You, you're all complicit in what your government's doing over here. It's like, that's not how this works. That's not how it works in your country. That's that not is how, how it terrorism works in Israel. Works. That's, that is not that's how the, it works anywhere. That's the case and, that the Israeli government is making right now. And, I mean, there's like a whole bunch of Israeli government officials that have like made the point of being like, well, there's actually no innocent civilians in Palestine because, you know, they Hamas was an, is their elected government. The last election they had is like 2005. Almost everybody there wasn't even alive yet when they elected Hamas right. leadership position. Which even is if that move, was the case. And I know? get it. Like, I, 
there's a part of you that feels well. I should say I'll speak for myself. Uh, I when I first started shifting out of like evangelical Christian culture and em- embracing kind of different political ideologies, there was a part of me that had to wrestle with that feeling of guilt of like, yeah, I do live here. I'm legally required to pay taxes. And 50% of that goes to the military industrial complex that's acting in ways around the world that I find problematic. Um, you, there's no opt out. You can't, there is no opt out. Right, there, there's no opt out anywhere on earth as ex- well. Like right. it's, so yeah. you, you're behold, like you, to hold civilians responsible for the sins of their government is honestly just an insane take, but, but it is a sticking point. Like you can, you can speak to it in a way that makes people go, Oh, that's interesting. And right. And that's, and that, and this is propaganda. And I think yes. that's all he's trying to do is hook people. Yes. Can we go through some of it? Would that be okay? Yeah. Yeah. I got some notes here too. What it stuck start, out to you? Well, it starts out really strong. He says, so, um, our reply is based on two questions directed at the Americans. Question one, why are we fighting and opposing you? Question two, what are we calling you to and what do we want from you? As for the first question, why are we fighting and opposing you? The answer is very simple because you attacked us and continue to attack us. And like fair. I mean, that's now you want to talk about the history of the Middle East and who's attacking who at, at some point it just all becomes a moot point. Cause we're talking about like a thousand plus years of history, but the, the things he actually lays out really bad though. Right, but some of the things he lays out in here, like obviously there's going to be a lot of conflicting opinions about um, the British handed over Palestine uh, with your help and support to the Jews who have occupied it for more than 50 years. Like I'm not even going to wade into that because I, I can't possibly have an informed opinion on it other than, of course, his bias is going to be this land should belong to Palestine, and not Israel. Big surprise. You know, you don't really have to guess what bin Laden's perspective is going to be on that. Um, and the, the but then he's like, the creation of Israel is a crime which must be erased. Every person whose hands have polluted in the contribution towards this crime must pay its price and pay for it heavily. And that that's one of those things that should be your first red flag of like, ah, okay, so he's not, this is definitely just propaganda. Like, he's not just saying- Everyone in the UN, is, right? I mean, the UN, it was- I don't Well, know as we keep going, yeah, you'll see who his, his idea of who should pay for things, um, for sure. But- and then they uh, it says it brings us laughter and tears to see you have not yet tired of repeating your fabricated lies that the Jews have a historical right to Palestine, um, and then you know goes into again a very pro-Muslim perspective. The people of Palestine are pure Arabs and original Semites. It's the Muslims who are the inheritor of Moses. Like it's it's the whole yeah yeah Muslims versus Ish- Israel, Israel thing. That, it, the line of, right it, it, it's uh, that Ishmael. whole thing of like no no we are the original ones who should have access to this for all these reasons in the Torah not like the Jews who say they should have access it access to it yeah. because and of honestly, yada 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 at this like point, it doesn't so, it, that's an interesting conversation is like who has right to which land based on you know religious texts from thousands of years ago it there's a there's a weird like there isn't a single I can't I can't imagine uh maybe someone could correct this, but I can't imagine there's a single country who is the rightful owner, an original owner of that land. You know what I mean? Like we're just, it kind of depends on when you start the clock and we're kind it's of past that. It's a, it, it's a move conversation. Point. I'm sorry. Yeah. Tim, I don't want to cut you off, but I feel like the more interesting stuff is as you keep going, God. then he makes a uh, some, I'm not saying these points are 100% accurate. I'm just saying you could easily read this and go, Oh, Okay. That's a decent point. Like you attacked us in Somalia. You supported the Russian atrocities against us in Chechnya. 
the Indian oppression against us in Kashmir, the Jewish aggression against us in Lebanon. Under your supervision, consent, and orders, the governments of our countries would act as your agents attack us on a daily basis. Um, these governments steal our wealth and sell it to you as a paltry, at a paltry price, referring to oil. Um, and you're like, some of those things you're like, yeah, okay, actually. Blend, they blend some truth into it, for sure. There, there's, there's a decent amount of truth in there when it comes to geopolitics. We absolutely have done a lot of the things he's accusing us of. Um, and then, But then he goes right into the removal of these governments is an obligation upon us, a necessary step to free the Ummah, to make the Sharia the supreme law and to regain Palestine. Ah, that's also, we should be like, ah, okay. So he's not even going to, he's not pretending like the goal is you leave us alone and we'll leave you alone. It's we've attacked, like you keep attacking us. So we're going to attack you. And our goal is all these governments should be uh, eradicated and Sharia law should rule all like, which he says that in different ways, multiple times throughout this document. That's an interesting point because growing up, I remember like post nine 11, like, probably all of our dads talking about well, they just want sharia law for everyone the u like uh, I'm, I'm right that's one of those things where by the end i'm like actually <laughs> I'm that part's of, true yeah that, that part's kind of correct that and they go oh is that where that came from is probably this yeah yeah i mean like, yeah because like the american yeah. propaganda we heard isn't a hundred percent wrong like that's well i think that's like a pretty gen like a pretty common like islamist opinion of or like for G- view for jihadists, of the world for sure yeah yeah islamist meaning like people who are like kind of islamic supremacists that want you know like a, a global caliphate and in a in a world of two billion muslims like i don't know what the percentage is of small. people who are islamists but it's it's not much it's yeah. not it's not a, a coalition of half the planet that's out to you know snuff out christianity yeah, or just, america for it sure. just so happens to be the people that plane attacks on other countries so they definitely get a bigger say and are handed them like they have the microphone if you will i think uh yeah there's that's i think that's part of why it's like so irritating to watch these just like old mainstream journalists just dismiss like people's interest in this or what you know, what like pulls at their heartstrings about this, because there's, there's genuine, you know, valid critiques of what the U S has done over the past 50 to a hundred years. And, and for sure, you know, I mean, I, I think if to, to live in the middle East during, you know, to live in Afghanistan during Russian occupation and, and ousting, and then, you know, to, to live long enough to see the U S invade Afghanistan and stuff. I mean, you're going to have some extreme ideas about things and, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's the perspective of someone who's lived through a lot of that stuff, but, you know, mixed into that is the idea that like, it is propaganda and he does want to dominate, you know, a lot, you know, everyone else as a part of that, but he does continually like draw like it, the, the, the criticism always loops back around to the Jews as, you know, like over and over and over again. I mean, Which it's, is it's a like common every theme paragraph. throughout history. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Try to try to have one autocratic dictator of some kind or madman who doesn't eventually want to loop it back around to the Jews. Right. I, there's actually I 
my biggest gripe with people complaining about people being interested in this, I think I agree with you, Casey, but I just think it's very interesting of like, yeah, a, a lot of the things that you were maybe taught. And I don't think it's fair to say what we were taught in school growing up and not about 9-11. It was just the common cultural discourse. Like the, the, the information was all there if you wanted to hear it. It's just if you were only lightly paying attention to what was being commonly talked about, like most people do, then you were only hearing a very sanitized version of events. But that's always been true. Like some of those people griping yes. about, oh, like you didn't know all of this real story. Like you didn't all know all this information. Quiz them on why did we actually get involved in World War II? Like how many of those people are one to acknowledge that like there was an American Nazi party having like, uh, you know, rallies at Madison Square Garden and how we were actually pretty split on which side we wanted to support until it was in our best interest, not like great patriot interests across the world. Patriotism was part of it. Doing the right thing was part of it. Also, like economics was a huge part of it and wanting to join the winning side of something that we felt like we couldn't avoid. Like it's not nearly as cut and dry as people would like to make you believe for one of what is arguably one of the most cut and dry wars in human history, at least as far as the common discourse talks about it. Exactly. Well, and that's the whole thing, you know, like I ranted about this a little bit last week because there's that new World War II doc docuseries coming out about it's like a Steven Spielberg one about pilots. But like that's that's the context in which everyone joins a war, you know, unless they're directly attacked. Like that's that's what I mean. Nations act in their national interest. And that's what draws them into these conflicts. And the idea that like, it's some ideological like point for us to step in and, and, you know, and liberate the people of Europe and stuff. I mean, there's some of that. That's why, you the, know, the guys on the ground did yeah. probably, I mean, that's, I think that at a, at, you know, at the individual soldier level and stuff, there was a lot of that, you know, but the U S government was not acting for those purposes but the ideology is how you build and keep public support to get the public to rally behind the war effort and support it long term and the exact same thing happened after 9-11 now our goals post 9-11 were a lot murkier and a lot more oil related but you know but it is the same thing it's like you need that public support to support whatever you're going to do less so than you need to do the right thing because the public supports it if that makes sense yeah which that, that's, i think the other thing too is that like they're so it's like you said, like there was information available to the public. You know, you 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 could go looking yeah. for information about the historical context of why, you know, the Al Qaeda attacked the U.S. and stuff. Why Bin Laden felt this way or whatever. But, you know, you like you can't overstate the 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 like hellstorm of fury that would come down on anyone who spoke out against like the u.s narrative on you know the war on terror like anyone who spoke out about it for you know a good eight to ten years after the fact was just like obliterated as like uh you know you're not a patriot you don't support right. the, support the troops support the troops like any criticism of our policy was you know you were directly like in support of the enemy killing our troops and stuff. I mean, this, this stuff wasn't like, it wasn't, there wasn't a conversation around this in most households. I don't think. No, definitely not. And I think that that's the backlash of like quote unquote propaganda, right? Where it's like, 
Yeah, information's available. Our, our history of the Middle East in the 80s was readily available, but people aren't looking that up. And when you kind of sell people a false bill of goods on why we're doing what we're doing, event like what you can capitalize on in the moment is the zeitgeist of like, you know, the the support for invading the Middle East was like at what in the 90 something percent or whatever. Yeah, but to be fair, like w- what's the alternative? Like are we're going to explain everybody the last 30 years of context no, to get no, us to no this one's point. Ever going to do that. Of course, like, sure. Cuz that's also that. kind of irrelevant. It doesn't at the end of the day, how much do people care about all the complicated reasons why bin Laden attacked us? Like right. well, they don't. He did and they want him dead. Like that's it. That's that's the human emotion. Yeah. It doesn't really go farther than that. That is the recourse when you which is why they tear, you know, why take they down do a it. skyscraper with three thousand people in it. But it's also why it's incredibly frustrating because the backlash is twenty, thirty years later, whatever, like people start learning and they feel like they've been deceived and they feel like they've been told a lie. And that when you when you feel that way, the natural response is to say everything they tell me isn't true. And they can't right. parse through the actual information. It, it, it's the amorphous. You do it. It's just like lying to me. It's short like, down the road. You're you're right. really fucking yourself down the road with your quote unquote electorate or whatever it is. That's all. It's anyone seems to fucking care about anyway is electorates. But yeah, but how much did they quote unquote lie to us? And versus how much like was all this information available? But we were eleven. Then how much of it's irrelevant? It just this is what's going to happen. <laughs> just all depends on what you were what it, you know where your information came from which at the time was a lot of cable news right i that's mean all we had. yeah that's true what we had we had cnn fox we had very few outlets nobody no was giving this media. perspective on cable we didn't have news Alex and, Jones and, giving us some business actually maybe we did actually no we, no, we totally did. did he was broadcasting that was the live good years. during 9-11 <laughs> yeah yeah those the glory days he the had joe rogan days. on his podcast on like 9-11 or not his podcast, his radio show. That's podcast sort of thing. But I, th- I think it's uh, what's what's so like interesting about like the the reaction to this is that it's it like it hasn't changed that much. I mean, they, like the media, the mainstream media outlets have the exact same reaction now that they did in two thousand three. You know, of yeah. just like tar and feather the people who are daring to like you know, entertain ideas about like U.S. incursions into other countries and stuff like that. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff here that, you know, it's along those same lines. I think one of the interesting points, though, is like, you know, Jeremiah touched on about like the the justification of attacking civilians. And yeah. Because I feel like this is something that we see over and over again. Like in every conflict, if a conflict gets ugly enough, this argument is made and people dehumanize normal people on the other side to allow themselves to to go after. I mean, I think we're seeing the same thing in Gaza right now. Yeah, like yeah. I said, there's, there is no shortage of Israeli officials that that have got on TV and, and talked about how like there is no illicit, there there are no innocent Palestinian civilians because they're all kind of supportive of Hamas and they voted them in and stuff and i think that's part of why like they're losing the PR war right now is because god i mean how many videos do you have to watch of like kids being pulled out of rubble before you're like what well, are we also- doing here 
that that also I think is since nine eleven, uh, social media has democratized the spreading of information. Now it's also social media is one of the worst things that's ever happened to humanity, and yeah. probably is responsible <laughs> the for democracy the of, of misinformation. But but when a government comes out and does the old tricks of just flat out lying about something, it's much easier to have an overwhelming amount of evidence that contradicts that. In the same way, like when Russia comes out and like we're going to murder Ukraine, we're going to stomp a hole in them, and then everyone watches two thousand videos of like russian tanks that can barely drive and soldiers that have hand-me-down gear that's 50 years old and stuff and like that's propaganda too people taking those videos and uploading it but it helps show people of like oh there's another perspective here it breaks down that wall a lot quicker and i think the governments just haven't changed the tricks like our cable news is still using the same old tricks and i don't think any of those individual anchors are trying to be tricksy right like, they're reading they're not doing a deep dive they're anyway. doing a five minute snippet on this particular story and so they're not just going to put a lot of effort into coming up with an original take on it they're just going to poo-poo it as a you know waspy liberal new englander about like how does everyone not know this information it's like because it's not relevant to their lives it wasn't relevant to them when they were two years old and they're interested in it now and you're not telling them yeah, anything it's useful. entertainment it's just entertainment. i think it's I, it's, it's their the, business model yeah and that's their audience like they 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 the whole like the cable news audience is old and they're not interested in hearing like perspective on anything no it's just like regurgitate to me that i am smart and they are dumb and we are the good generation and everybody under this age is stupid and they've been destroyed by liberal media and this and that and the other you know like it's just there's just nothing of value there like, and I, I don't know, you it's, know, I mean, I've had this conversation though. I think that's what's frustrating is like the irony of like, people have questions and you go and the, the media goes, these people are dumb. And those people go, you're not engaging with us in good faith. It's like, there's actual reasonable critiques of the United States government. And when you don't acknowledge that, that kind of pushes them deeper into a bad ideology instead of meeting them where they're at and having a conversation about where we fucked up and where we should go exactly you're, you're creating the problem your your disengagement from the conversation that's being had is actually exacerbating the problem and creating new ones so i think that that's what that's one of the things that's like frustrating on the other side of this and you see it's over and over again is like this there is like to some extent there is like one piece of this is like this justification of Ben Laden as like some sort of freedom fighter. And they all roll out this quote. I couldn't tell you the quote, but it's like any, any act of aggression against the colonial power is justified for this reason or that. It's like the favorite of, you know, 19 year old TikTokers. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I, I think so on, uh, the unraveling is a great podcast. They did like the first six or seven episodes of the unraveling is like about, um, the Iraq war. And it's, you know, Jocko Wilnick, who was a part of the Iraq war. And then Daryl Cooper from martyr made. And they're talking about like the lead into it, his history and stuff. And then like, you know, ground level perspective from two guys who were a part of it. Right. And that's one of the things they talk about. Cause I mean, there's lots of people that will justify the invasion of Afghanistan, right? I mean, that's where Al-Qaeda was and then the other. We all tend to agree on the fact that, like, Iraq was a mistake. Mm -hmm. You know, 
We shouldn't have invaded Iraq. That was, you know, a, a distraction from the main goal. It was unnecessary. It led to catastrophe. But, but, but with a capital B-U-T, Saddam Hussein was garbage and a terrible guy. And like, no one should shed any tears about the fact that Saddam Hussein got hung in a closet. Like, I mean, he's a scumbag that tortured people. He killed tons of innocent civilians. I mean, he gassed his own people. He gassed the Kurds. He, he was a terrible, terrible dude. And like, that's what's like irritating in the, the realm of like all this like TikTok stuff and everything is that, you know, just because like there's, there's like legitimate critiques of U.S. wrongdoing in all of these yeah. topics. That does not make Osama bin Laden no. like a, a cool guy that was like a principled freedom fighter. It doesn't mean that you should even take what he wrote as his like cut and paste views on any of the things that he talks about. Like I said, this is a propaganda document. And Osama bin Laden was garbage. Same with Saddam Hussein. And he same was with Muammar Gaddafi. Garbage. He and knew exactly never what he was doing. actually saw the body. <sighs> Thanks, yeah, Sam. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> but they lost yeah, I mean, it. They lost it overboard. Come anyway. Uh, not that we need to like for a different day. Yeah. <laughs> not that I think we really need to preach to the listeners of this podcast, but like I think the best thing any of the younger listeners who can do, or maybe just anyone who was never paying that much attention to this early on, which is totally fine. Most of us weren't. It's no big deal. But the best thing you can do is just use this opportunity to learn the fuller history of most of the events you take for yeah. granted. Like start with wars, just start with all the wars that you're like, Oh, a hundred percent. We were on the right side of that one. Like you really want to rock your worldview. Go back to the revolutionary war, start there. And it's just going to get complicated from then on out. And the goal is not to make, don't even get a start on the civil war. <laughs> <laughs> the goal isn't to just like hate America by the end of it. It's to, have a fuller understanding of history is complicated and it's never a simple answer. And it's almost never the simple cut and dry answer you were given in middle school. So states like, rights, what you're saying that does exactly. That doesn't mean that people have been intentionally lying to you this whole time. Sometimes it means the answers are complicated and they're just too complicated. And so the one sentence answer you get given, uh, you just stick with it for maybe a decade or two longer than you should have. And that's okay. Like you didn't know there was more information out there to get, but there is. And in this case, like, yeah, I don't think the conclusions that this should be any different. He's still a monster. Not, absolutely nothing has changed. Just reading his own letter, it ends with, what does he want out of all of this? It's not for a, stop attacking us, go back to your country, leave us alone. It's no, eradicate all the governments, eradicate all other religions, Sharia law rules all, like, we will do anything that we want, we'll subjugate you, essentially. Like, you, reading between the lines of what he's saying, it's, it's exactly what you think terrorism is. Like yeah, oh, uh, yeah. what jihadist Islamic terrorism exactly is exactly what your conservative that... dad said, uh, honestly. Right. And that's what's kind <laughs> exactly. of annoying. Like, he wasn't that, that rubbed you the right. wrong way. <laughs> that's your problem, I guess. Like it, it's not something look, no one was ever worried about Sharia law becoming a problem in America. We're just saying like, and that was the fear of our dads was like, they want they want to <laughs> subjugate us to Sharia law. No, they don't. No, no Muslim in the in, in the United yeah, States. No Muslim. No Muslim wants to have that. Sharia law here. There's some Osama conservatives are calling it something yeah. different. But <laughs> it's just. But that was the point. And uh, right. your dads were wrong about plenty of things, uh, and they were wrong to be worried about certain things. But 
that's at least what was in that document. <laughs> you, you you cannot boil the vast majority of of like geopolitics and historical you know conflicts and stuff. You cannot boil them down into a good guy and a bad guy. It's just nothing is is that simple, you know. And if it feels that simple, try reading some other things. In closing. I will say, okay, of all the videos that I watched about like reaction videos to this whole thing, there's a few that had like decent takes that bothered to actually like delve into like why this was resonating with people. And it was mm. Breaking Points, Rising, uh, The Young Turks, and uh, Kyle Kalinske. Those were the four that actually had like a decent take that actually cared about what was resonating with these people about the videos. So like, it's just, it's worth noting that, you know, there are some decent places to start source information and, and learn more about stuff, but I don't know. Anyways, uh, Sam, tell us about our guest. Yeah, our guest is uh, our boy Carlos, a.k.a. Stolen Heart Tattoo. He's a tattoo artist in Albuquerque. Um, he's just been uh, he's been a longtime follower of the podcast. Him and I have interacted a lot over Instagram. I really like his tattoo work. I have enjoyed just conversing with him since we started this thing. Um, he's been a good supporter, uh, you know, likes, comments we have a lot of cool, you know, interactions. So, uh, after just a couple of years of him, just being, uh, just being there and, and supporting us and me really enjoying his tattoo work, um, and his artistry, I just decided that he would, I I'll reach out to him, see if he has a similar background, see if he grew up in the world that we did. He grew up Catholic, um, which as we know as Protestants is emphatically not Christian, but, it counts for the podcast. So, uh, <laughs> but it was super fun. I think, you know, it started out with us trying to, you know, we talked a good bit about the difference between, um, you know, growing up Protestant versus Catholic kind of sussing that stuff out a bit. Um, and I really feel like it picked up and just became a real good time as we like just got further into it. Um, you start out just talking about some of the sim, the differences, the similarities, whatever, but it, it turned, we had some really fun fucking conversations about like the shittiest tattoos he's had to do just the kind of stuff you want to <laughs> ask any tattoo artist, Uh, fun little rapid fire round at the end with like us just what we're just stating some of the goofiest fucking tattoos we could think of that asking him, you know, if he's guaranteed he's done, but it was fun, man. We had a great time talking to Carlos. Uh, love the guy. Uh, I think I might've mentioned the podcast. My brother-in-law lives out in Albuquerque. Uh, if you live in Albuquerque, look him up. Stolen heart tattoo. Uh, go get a tattoo by him. He he's great. Uh, if I'm out that way, we want my wife and I want to go visit my brother-in-law. Uh, that's on the docket. If I'm out in Albuquerque, I'm going to go get a tattoo by our boy Carlos. Uh, but we had a fun time. Goofy shit. Uh, Bottom line for Catholics. Amen. Uh, so uh, there we go. Great <laughs> review. Great review of the show and join the Discord and enjoy our conversation with Carlos. Hey, everybody. We are back with our guest, Carlos, a.k.a. Stolen Heart Tattoo. What's going on, Carlos? 
How's it going, guys? It's going good, man. Um, for anyone listening, we'll obviously record an intro before this as we normally do, and there'll be a uh, noticeable difference in probably the way, hopefully, there'll be a noticeable difference in the way I sound by the time we record an intro for this. I lost my voice over the weekend. I got most of it back, but um, that might annoy people who hate that vocal fry sound. I feel like a valley girl, but with a real deep voice now. That's in right now. What's that podcast girl, the the awkward girl that's like everywhere all of a sudden? Ooh, which one? <laughs> oh, I can't remember her name. There's like this this girl that came out of nowhere as a podcaster and she like immediately landed an interview oh. with Drake. Yeah, she's the one who does like that like kind of deadpan shit, right? Yeah, and she's she's got a little of that like the yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> everybody loves vocal fry um anyway carlos man thanks for joining us dude i uh we've yeah. kind of just been interacting online for quite a while i feel like um i just i always pay attention to uh because i spend too much time on social media i guess like who follows the page and stuff and i always check i'm like oh so and this is apology to everyone that i'm not following after they hear this but when <laughs> i see people doing cool shit especially artists and musicians i'll always check out what they got and if i like it i give it a follow and uh i just perused your page and you are a uh you're a tattoo artist and you're in albuquerque is that right that's correct albuquerque yeah. new mexico and uh, we are part I of was... the united states yeah <laughs> <laughs> The new, the you're the new Mexico. You're not the old Mexico, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is funny. You'd be surprised how often we get that from people that don't know. <laughs> That's wow. Actually, sad. <laughs> new Mexico is awesome. Like oh, I've yeah. never really been to New Mexico until uh, until I moved to Kansas, and now we've taken like quite a few, like several road trips where we've gone through parts of New Mexico and like. I I love that place. Like Cimarron Canyon, have you ever been there? Oh yeah. It's it's beautiful out here. There's some gorgeous areas. And you have we, like everything, like this like such a diverse array of like uh eco uh, ecosystems. I don't know if that's the right word, but you've got like oh, yeah. heavy, heavy desert. You've got like, you know, rolling sand dunes in like white sands area and stuff. There's like those mountainous, you know, old growth forests, hardwoods and stuff. And then like far what eastern is just like gorgeous grasslands. It's like you come out of the rocky areas and you just roll onto these like just epic proportion rolling hills and grasslands that go forever. You can just like close your eyes and imagine like two million buffalo stampeding across it. <laughs> oh, yeah, easily. And then even stuff like you go south and there's the caverns and stuff. So Oh have, yeah. So you could even go underground and everything. It's just yeah, New Mexico's really diverse. We're we're in that good section between where between Texas and then like the desert. That's kind of Arizona. So we get like a good little climate and then as you go north you get closer to Colorado, so you get that nice like rainfall and snow and everything coming from that direction. So I think it's can I drop a controversial take? Absolutely. We'd expect nothing less from you, Casey. Colorado is gorgeous, but Colorado is played out. That's what I, you know, like, that's what I hear. Mm. I'm, I'm over it. Like, there's too many people. It's too packed. 
It's too like even in the like the city areas, it's too kind of snooty and bougie and stuff. Like you either go north or south. You either go to Wyoming. Wyoming's incredible and nobody's there. Or you go south to New Mexico. New Mexico's incredible and nobody's there. Like oh yeah, that's where I go now. I feel like I owe my, I don't know. I guess my geography is just that bad. So I don't know. I, you know, we can't even blame uh, America's uh, public education system because I wasn't a participant in it. But my G, I always feel like, I feel like it took me until my like early 30s to realize exactly where Colorado was because it's so known for skiing that I just had this. I always pick, if you say Colorado, I picture like Northern. Uh, like northern in the United States, and it's not there. I've never found it up there. It's uh, no, no, it's really it's right, a lot right lower than always, I man. always remember it. It's not a great feeling to <laughs> constantly be faced with how little you know about your own country. Are, Are you so native funny? New Mexico? Yes, born and raised. Nice. Have you what yeah. about have you been in the Albuquerque area? Was it? Same area or somewhere else? No, I've been, uh, Albuquerque's been my home since I was born. Nice. Where I've always been. Yeah. So my brother-in-law lives out there and we're, we'd like to make a trip out there. It seems cool, but he just posted all these pictures. There's like a bunch of hot air balloon. There's like a big hot air balloon festival thing or something like that. That Yeah, we have, we have annually, we have one of the largest balloon fiestas in the, in the world we get people from all over the world who travel here for it because for some reason at the beginning of october and the way our environment is we have like the perfect biometric pressure whatever that allows for balloons and everything to fly and stuff so it's crazy it gets it gets massive there's like so many people that come out for this thing that's crazy so they come up from all over the so they just like pack up their, I mean, they're hot air balloons, right? The people just pack them up and then they ride yeah, them just there. Come on down. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, they pack up, get over here and then they'll fly them. Sometimes I think last year we had, sometimes the weather's not as friendly. So every morning they got to do like a weather check to see how the, the wind is and the air and stuff to see if they're going to have a no fly day and stuff. And I think last year we had a, quite a few more of those, but this year it seems like we had a good day where every day was a launch day so in the mornings you're driving to work and stuff and all you just see is just all the balloons just filling up the sky and stuff it's crazy that's cool yeah the pictures looked amazing like literally the sky was full of balloons you definitely don't want to pick the wrong day for a hot air balloon (laughs) like the wrong (laughs) day puts you in bed like you're either going up or down you go down you're gonna hit power lines which i i recently accidentally saw a video of uh a, let's call it a small personal aircraft hitting power lines and oh, it did not go up. <laughs> it went up in smoke oh, it's like when you catch your hair in the dryer or something like that and it just <laughs> sizzles or or you go up and you go into the ionosphere and then you fall back to earth it's like a frozen turd <laughs> 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 got to find that perfect perfect meeting ground <laughs> yeah no it, it ha- that the power line thing happens at least not every year but at least once every few years we'll have some story where one of the balloons accidentally hit a power line or something or it's 
Yeah, it's, it's nuts. It's <laughs> such that, a and then wild... we got to deal with all the all the traffic and stuff because everybody's going to work at the same time launch time is. So everybody's too busy paying attention to the balloons in the sky instead of the traffic <laughs> in front of them and stuff. And so it's, it's a mess. <laughs> Balloon season is the only time. It's the only thing more dangerous than like playing on your phone while you drive. <laughs> it's like exactly. to track hot air balloons. <laughs> and people already do that enough as it is. So then you've got them driving, trying to take pictures of the balloons while they're driving. Yep. And it's just a mess. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Oh my god, dude! So how let's uh let's hear a little of your story, man. What uh, obviously Albuquerque? Uh, what kind of what kind of environment did you grow up, family wise? Um, I actually had I had a really good family. I mean, my dad and my mom split when I was little and stuff, but I had a stepmom who came in when I was really young and stuff, and she brought her daughter, my sister, with her, and so we had a really good family. It's crazy, like we were saying in um, Messenger. I've come from a very catholic home which is it's predominant in this area anytime you get into hispanic areas you run risk of a lot stronger catholic family so my family is very very catholic so we grew up that way and stuff and i mean i was always an artist and everything but i had no idea what i was going to do with my art and i was about 16 i think and my dad got his first tattoo and i went to the tattoo store with him and i was looking at all the flash on the walls and everything i was like dad i want a tattoo he's like you gotta wait till you're 18 i bugged him and bugged him and bugged him and it wasn't until i was like a week before my 18th birthday i went to a shop and luckily we knew the guy that owned the shop he was like a family friend and i was bugging him and he ended up just calling my dad on the phone he's like hey i got your son here in my shop wanting a tattoo my dad's like i guess he's already there Mind you, this was <laughs> mid '90s, so it was a time when you Herbal can do that without. Actually... <laughs> exactly. No, and it was about maybe after about my third tattoo, I started really looking into it and going, "Gosh, this is something I really loved." I was hoping I was going to be like a comic book artist or something, but my skills just weren't at that level. I don't think so. When tattooing came to me, it was just it was a all guns blazing sort of thing. I started bugging my artist. What do you? take me on can how do i become an apprentice how do i become an apprentice how do i do this and yeah never kind of looked back that first one did you go real catholic with it and get like stigmata <laughs> tattoos on your palms no that would have been dope though i don't know if i could have handled right that hands. 18 <laughs> <laughs> oh it's funny my first it's it's in the process it's been getting covered up now but it was like a little evil s- smile now cry later that i had drew up and it's funny if because being raised in a catholic home you either dip into Catholicism really hard or you kind of slowly fall out of it I am um, my favorite George Carlin quote was always I was born and raised Catholic until I hit the age of reason which is always yeah. kind of where <laughs> and I, tend to, I, I grew up loving like heavy metal and hardcore and art and cartoons and comics and stuff so I tended to lead a little bit more to the dark side and as opposed to everybody else so I was always you know you especially in the mid 90s which was the height of the satanic panic so you had like Marilyn mm. Manson and everything and stuff like that so yeah I was always a little bit more on that side of life than than I was and I remember we got into plenty of fights with my stepmom about that so whenever yeah. I was finally and she used to get mad at me for not going to church she's like well as long as you're living in my home you have to go to church and so like the minute I moved out it's like okay no more church <laughs> and I don't think I've gone, I've gone back for like weddings and funerals and stuff but that's about it that's fun dude that's how it was for me too is like as long as well it's so funny because that 
I feel like that was the rule for me, but my younger siblings, I mean, they went more voluntarily, uh, not, I shouldn't say more voluntarily. I was more than happy to go, but even though I was like the most fully in and invested in like all about it, I couldn't take like a weekend off to stay at a friend's house without it it being like a huge problem. And it just, that never made sense to me. Cause I'm like, I'm the only one who wants to be there all the time. Like everyone else is just doing it. Cause they kind of have to, like my older sibling had kind of fizzled out on it. And you're just like, what do you, that was like the only time I, I think I really experienced like just like a more strict legalism in my family was just like, you guys are pretty chill about a lot of stuff. And for you to like draw your line in the sand, cause I want to have a sleepover at a friend's house on a Saturday was really bizarre. So I would like sleep yeah. over and then have to like get up at six in the morning so I could like go to church, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. no, my dad I made a like... pact with God that we will all as a family be miserable for five hours once a week. <laughs> I couldn't imagine. I was, I used to spend summers with my mom because my mom had moved out to Las Vegas whenever I was in, uh, when I was like six, uh, okay. Nevada. So I would go stay with her. And there was one time where I think she was just trying out churches because she had always kind of struggled to find out where she fit spiritually and stuff. And she tried a Christian church and it was one of those ones where they have like the singing and everybody's standing up and singing along and they take coffee breaks about an hour in and stuff. And it was the most it was the most culture shock thing I had thought I had ever <laughs> experienced. I was like, how is church so long? What are people doing? People are singing along everybody's standing up and say, you don't have to kneel down and stand up and recite. And it was the craziest thing. So I could, so like a five hour mass, that would blow my mind. We had to do like two hour masses on Christmas Eve or something or the night before Easter. And it was just like, that was, that was too long. <laughs> Dude, something that stands out to me, and this is a, a reoccurring thing I've heard my entire life is when talking with, people who were catholics or who grew up catholic is they'll refer it's like they're catholic and they'll refer to like the evangelical stuff as christian and it's like well i didn't really grow up christian i was more catholic and it's so funny to me because i i am always like well wasn't well despite growing up evangelical and then being like well not all catholics are really christians uh we got a lot of that but yeah it's still like under the umbrella. So what's the, what, what, what are you thinking when you say that? Or what's like, what was the, like the conversations like when you were a kid, when like parsing out the differences? Um, I was, you know, I was kind of raised the same way where it was like, those are Christians. We're Catholic and stuff. We're different because we have, we praise the saints and we have saints in our homes and we do these things like pray the rosary all the time. We have our, our set mass where we go and we say all our prayers and stuff. And there were just like these little differences that we did. We didn't do like youth cramps and stuff like that. And we had youth group and stuff, but that was like at the end of catechism that once you graduated from catechism, the next one was youth group. And that was like the high school equivalent of church school. And, but yeah, there were just, that, that was always told. I was always told, you know, Catholics, we worship all the saints and stuff and we had the Pope and everything the christians are just they're more all about jesus and they definitely want to make you a part of the christianity and it's like i thought we were all the i thought catholicism was christianity but apparently there's differences <laughs> <laughs> it's like it I is your but... catholic youth group is probably just like a, a once a week scheduled session for teenagers to finger each other <laughs> that's pretty much what it was so many people hooked up at those things <laughs> 
So <laughs> for real. Well, so Catholics and uh, and Christians, air quotes, are a lot more similar than uh, maybe I thought. Everyone was getting oh, finger no. banged in the back. That's cool. <laughs> oh no, they're a lot of like. They're a lot of like. It's just those. It's the little differences that the older generations seem to hold on to and like to be like. This is how we're different. Yeah, it's one of those. I like started realizing how like because aesthetically, it's incredibly different. It's like stylistically the way it functions, the way a mass is versus just your Southern Baptist Sunday morning service are so wildly different. But then like, I just remember getting older and hearing from like, like just reasonable Catholics just be like, just talk about their faith. And you're like, this is weird because it sounds like you're saying all the things that I believe, but you're supposed to be wrong about everything. So it like you kind of like outside it. Once you get past the aesthetics, I know the saints thing is like the big hang up for evangelicals. They can't, they can't handle that. Uh, and I was just talking about this the other week. Cause I think the funny thing about it is like, and maybe this changes from uh, depending on like your Catholic culture, but it's cause I know even in evangelicalism, there's a tons of different thought processes, but it's like the idea is um, at least on paper that you will communicate with the saints for the purpose of them interceding on your behalf to God. Like, so whatever the saint of this or that, you know, it's kind of just like upping the ante, right? It's kind of double hoping you get like just a couple extra prayers in your, on your, in your corner. And then maybe God will pull through. And it's just funny because evangelicals are like, no, 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 no. Like that's really fucked up. That's like, that's like worshiping saints. That's, that's taken things too far. But then they like send out prayer chains and they hope that the more people who like pray for them on their behalf, like increases their favor with God. And it's just like, you're doing the same thing. The only difference the is your people thing. are still alive. It's kind of like that game at the circus or the fair or whatever, where you got to shoot the little water pistol and the little jockey on the horse moves you're like you're you're in a race to see who can fill the water hopper faster and then if you get to the finish line then your boss dies and you get to move into a position with health care yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we can't forget about the guilt there's the catholic guilt everything is, is based on guilt <laughs> yeah that one seems oh you're you're carlin quote i i don't do you know mike burbiglia the stand-up comic no i can't say i've heard him he um he just he has I think it was his bit where he's just like uh he talks about how he grew up Catholic. He goes, and I'm not I'm he's like, I went to Catholic school and I'm not Catholic anymore because I went to Catholic school. And it's kind of it's, remind it's like a similar vibe. It's just like that's how it seems most people feel when they grow up in that that rigidity. Um or like the strict Catholic upbringing. It's just like ah, a little too heavy handed. A little burnout. We saw the same thing in our uh, in our sphere as well. Again, that's what I was going to say. It's almost the same thing because you have Christian shame as opposed to Catholic guilt. You're shamed instead of guilted. It's almost pretty much the same thing. Like you said, they're similar, but just slight variations. <laughs> what What's noticeable yeah. to me is I feel like a lot of people who like move on from their Catholic faith will still talk about the Catholic guilt, and I feel like despite you know living in this world of ex-evangelical internet and people being like, it's like talking about how it still impacts them. My personal experience with people who have left 
the evangelical faith is that after several years, they stopped giving a fuck about any of it. Like they, they weren't overly like shamed or feel felt a whole lot of guilt. But I feel like I hear that so differently with people who grew up Catholic is Catholic guilt are two words that go together uh, pretty frequently. There's like a trauma inherent in it. And I think like a lot of people, we still deal with it. I mean, like I said, my family's still extremely Catholic and stuff like that. So I am very much aware of it through them as well. So I, I'm kind of the black sheep, but you know, I get along with everybody. Everybody loves me, but I'm still very, very cautious about like what I say around them and what I do. Mm -hmm. And I know my sister is very much on like my Instagram stories and stuff. So there's some things I would probably like to post. And then in the back of my head, I'm like, ah, your sister's going to see this. But at the same time, it's like, ah, I love sacrilegious humor and all. <laughs> so it's one yeah. of them. Sacrilegious humor. It, it gets funnier when you, when it first hits you and you're like, ah, I'm uncomfortable with it. And then you just let that sink in a bit more. And then, it's so funny. It's so funny. And it's sad that even people who are still deeply in their faith can't have a better sense of humor about how other people might perceive it or why they would make sacrilegious jokes. Well, I feel like it's funny because it's like when you first hear it, it stings a little, you know? <laughs> yeah. And like knowing it's that a little like, close to home yeah <laughs> yeah and like knowing that after the fact after you've left and it doesn't sting anymore like knowing it stings the people that are still there that you don't like makes it all the more funny <laughs> hell i but it's so funny because i even in high school when i was deeply christian i was like i loved comedy i loved watching stand up and anytime people would shift into christian jokes or jokes on religious people I always found it, even if I was like, oh, that was a that was a rough one. I still always part of me just found it funny. And I think it was just easier to to have. I always had an easier time having a, a good sense of humor about it and not finding things particularly offensive. I don't know. I don't I think it's, it's go ahead. No, I was going to say it's funny that you say that, though, because that was one of the the biggest things I did notice like between Catholics and Christians, because where Christians are, there's a lot more piety to it where, you know, we don't drink, we don't do drugs, we don't smoke, we don't do this. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's all about our faith and our worship and stuff. We're Catholics Saturday night, they're out partying and drinking and doing everything. And then Sunday morning, they're in church trying to pray away the bad. Confession. Did, but, <laughs> yeah. Guilt's the only thing holding that, that rickety old structure together. <laughs> exactly. Without You're the fine, guilt, as long as you just admit back. your sins. <laughs> <laughs> what, you... what, I mean, the confessional has to play a role in that, I would think. Like <sighs> having a... to go in and talk about like the bad things that you did or thought or said or whatever. Like, you know, there's a there. I feel like there was, at least in our in my church, there wasn't a lot of like public outing of your dirty laundry it was kind of like no. hey you should feel bad but feel bad quietly yeah no one you wanted know? to have uncomfortable conversations especially with like sex or porn came up it was like we know 
And then, but everyone would be like, put their finger on their nose, like, not me. Like, they, they look around, like, it's got to be somebody else. Like, everyone acted like they didn't, and then just internalized that. But now, if there was a, a screen and an old man, you know, dunking his McNugget in the booth next to you, <laughs> maybe we'd have an easier time with it. I don't know. Yeah, it was just, it was literally just that. It was a box. You went into like a little box and you had the separator. And he would draw the little thing closed. You would say your prayer. And then you're just supposed to be like, okay, these are the sins I committed this week. And he's like, all right, go say 10 Hail Marys and three Our Fathers and think about Hell what yeah. you did. Stuff like oh, that. But I love that. This is, it's the same thing as a therapist, though. You know, if you're not going to be, sometimes people don't want to be completely open with a therapist. So you're going to, you're probably going to weed out the harder stuff that you don't want them to know so much. And it's the now, same thing that you're going to confess some things. I don't think there's anybody in there giving a full list of everything they did through the week and hoping to pray it away with a few Hail Marys. Yeah. <laughs> what actually is pretty wild about uh, being a priest is more closely related to being a therapist than I would have thought just because they can't like it really is like a vow of secrecy. Like they have to keep your shit secret. Uh, like it's and they, they kind of get to follow the same rules as um as therapists, if there's like a crime being investigated, it's just like to get to get a priest to talk is like they have to be like formally subpoenaed. And it's it's a full process. Uh, I don't think I'm sure um, they take I don't think seriously pastors, as they do they, their vow of celibacy. Yeah. You know? Well, it, 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 you're still you're still celibate as long as you don't have sex with a woman. So that's the, that's yeah, they all took that vow very seriously. Um, yeah, unfortunately they really, really have, (laughs) but I don't know that, uh, pastors in our circuit, Casey, uh, kept the lid on people's secrets as much as, uh, maybe priests do. (laughs) I would have told, I would have been, that would have been a real problem for me. It would have been like a guess who (laughs) can't keep any secrets. It's like the kids game. Guess who, where you just like, you start telling secrets and people are like, uh, does he have white hair? It's like everyone just gets to figure it out. Did you guys have like the was your pastor kind of like the like the school counselor? He's just gonna come sit on the count on the corner of the desk and tell you how cool it is and that you could share all your secrets with him. Like it's okay, I'm here for you. Let's talk. Let's get this out. Oh man, and try to get to the root of your problem. He's your buddy. <laughs> we had one guy like that. And he was only like somewhat connected to our church and stuff. But yeah, I did. I remember going on like a retreat where like nobody showed up. So there was only like four of us and we were camping out and there's like a fire and he wants to get out his guitar and like sing. And there's four of us. It sucks, you know, (laughs) and he really wanted us to all cry and talk about ourselves and stuff like that around the fire. And none of us wanted to do that. And then he got angry the one night like that we were guarded i guess or something <laughs> i don't know it was terrible he he, he sucked he, lashed, he was he not one of the out? ones that yeah he got real like snarky and preachy about it and stuff and we're just like uh i want to go home now <laughs> it's like yeah, when a bunch of kids not want to open up to one... each other <laughs> <laughs> What is the one person? It's like one person in the audience that you know did something, and the pastor's going real hard on it, like, but trying being vague. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's like that, but with just the four of you. He's just like, now I know some of you here have done X, Y, and Z, and everyone's quiet. And he's like, 
I mean, we know pretty, I mean, <laughs> someone here has to be struggling with this. And you're all just like, oh, I'm good. And he's like, that's impossible. Somebody wet their sleeping bag last night. <laughs> do you remember, uh, do you remember anything that you like confessed to that like stressed you out? Like that you got really worked up about? Obviously, you know, don't don't share anything you don't want to. But like, <laughs> I don't know, you broke a window in your mom's house or something like that that you lied about or something. I don't know. It was always like the most basic things whenever I went in there. It was just like, oh, yeah, I cussed this week. Um, I talked back to my mom. I disobeyed my parents. But it was like the most basic things. You never, never gave full confession. I honestly don't know how many people give full confession. There was some people that would go in that box and they would be in there for long time oh was like, you know he's just got a groan yeah. when certain people like open the door he's just like oh god i was gonna take a lunch it was just a mutual was... masturbation session yeah that was exactly exactly what it was there's no way yeah there's no way you could be completely honest in those things nobody wants to especially when you guys you go to catechism and sometimes the the priest would teach some of the classes and stuff he's familiar with a lot of the us that are younger that are growing up and stuff we had a we had a priest at our church and my grandpa at one point in time was on the road to becoming a deacon and stuff and so he would come over to their house and have dinner and stuff. so he knew all of us so you get in that box and you know it's him there's no way that you're gonna be <laughs> completely honest just like you're not gonna be going and telling my family or my grandpa anything about me that so, yeah so it made it hard for that family member yeah I don't, it's you not funny to think about okay. the, the level of honesty that someone would have in there. Cause it does feel like, I mean, like you said, some people go in for a long time. There's gotta be people who are just like, we all know over sharers in our real life. And the only thing that stops them from going on forever is like people getting tired of it and leaving the conversation and having one of those types of people walk into that box is like, you're just going to gear up for a good, like 45 minute vent session. Yeah. It's gotta be a nightmare. It's like a I'm therapy sure. session that you can't just say, well, that's our time, you know? Yeah, Andrew, it's all done. you're not getting paid extra for it. That's like just part of the, the probably not wonderful salary. Like how often do they just tune out and then it's like, okay, we're at the end. They're saying the closing prayer. All right, think about what you did. Go say these prayers. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Come back He's next week and hopefully we're better. <laughs> He's just playing Candy Crush with one earbud in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> taking a nap even that's so Dude, i feel like uh catholics i've said this before but like catholics like uh they get some of the cooler things like all the horror movies are about catholics like uh they're they have so much cooler like lore and stuff i remember like as a kid being a little creeped out by it in a way like it was more ritualistic i think i kind of thought about it as like like this is like the radio edit edit of the uh, Bohemian Grove ceremony. <laughs> it's crazy. You get you get the movies. You get all the night, all the crazy Exorcist movies. You get the movies about the devil coming in and all that stuff like that. But then you start getting into history and you see the church tied up with with states of power and colonialism and stuff. And so it like really becomes like all this real life horror stuff that it's tied up with too. It's just like. Jesus. And then obviously the modern day stuff that we get to hear the joys about when it comes to Catholicism. So it's like, 
Jesus, it is like a real, like a real horror movie out there, isn't it? <laughs> it's Harder actually for the home team. It's honestly <laughs> incredible how um, how well structured it still is. Like, because we know what the power of the Catholic Church has been throughout history. Obviously, it doesn't share quite that much power anymore. But it is still wild that like your local priests are only like what like five four positions removed from like the vatican you know it's just Mm -hmm. really interesting the way that they are still so well structured um and of course we've seen them use that uh and in some use that structure to you know obviously you move people around you you see that the dark side (laughs) that's exactly what i was gonna say um it's fascinating that it's still like functions like without any, I mean, without any major splits since fucking uh, Luther, you know, like how, how is it not every other denomination has split hundreds and hundreds of times. We have thousands and thousands of denominations, but for some reason, Catholicism is still just like staying in their lane and people are showing up. I don't get it. I, Maybe yeah, there's uh, a deal with the devil horror movie stuff after all. <laughs> well, I think there's like subsects of the Catholic Church in similar ways as like denominations. They 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 do seem to have like more of a respect for like the 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 infrastructure of it though, because like I I have family that are real serious Catholics and you know they don't. They haven't liked the last few popes, including the current one, so they don't think that they're huh. true popes or something. And they have like different like ideas about some of us like, do with presidents. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. It's, it's just like Christians that it can very much become very political, depending on who's in charge. Because I listen to, I think about the stuff I hear from, like my stepmom and my sister. Because as they get older, they seem to get a lot more religious as they get older, but I look at like some of the stuff that they lean into and that they pay attention to. And I'm like, how much of the church is feeding this? And it was funny. Um, my sister got married back in 2016. I think it was, it was one of the last times I had been in church. That wasn't a funeral. And we were sitting there and the priest gets up and he does his speech after the wedding. He gives his little sermon and stuff. And he used that as a chance to start talking about, gay marriage and stuff like that and how marriage is between a man and a woman and and loving stuff like that and i'm just sitting there because my uncle is in a couple rows behind me and he's been in a relationship with his with his significant other for years now everybody knows and i'm like how like this is what you're out here preaching i could only imagine what your normal sunday sermons are like so it's it's interesting the way the churches can on both sides can dip into the politics and what they preach and stuff i'm sure you guys I think you guys probably follow the page on Instagram, the Christian Nightmares one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm always seeing that stuff. Just every time I see a post, I laugh at it. But at the same time, it's just like, damn, there's people. Yeah. Whoa. There's some people out here. <laughs> it's getting more outrageous. The Internet's made it so much worse. It, everyone's just like, try, I feel like everyone's trying to be more outrageous. And just that like TikTok Christian influencer lane is oh my god like you thinking about anyone in particular yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
There's one that we follow, and he may have been a guest on this podcast with his uh, <laughs> wife at some point. But, um, but just in general, it's just like you see their light, their eyes just lit up with the ring lights, and they have like this passionate look on their face, and they just like just go off on how amazing Jesus is and how he's going to solve all your problems. And it's like it's all like similar stuff that I've heard, but definitely more like a resurgence for younger people with like prosperity gospel stuff um really like a very maybe it's just a generational thing but like a a overly self-absorbed version of like christianity like that it's all about the individual there's no communal aspect of it anymore there's no like i don't know it's just uh it seems to just be all about the person talking about it and it's funny because they've convinced themselves that they're doing it for another reason, but it's just clearly not true. And I don't know in what world they'd be able to convince me otherwise, unless I like found these people and saw them actually like changing lives around them and in their city, which I, I doubt. It's like I really it's doubt like when you yeah. hear when you hear like a twenty year old just go on rants about the problem with with politics or the economy, and you're just like nothing about what you're doing will i it's hard to i I could never listen to it like you're you're no you're in no position you don't you haven't felt it you haven't experienced so uh, and i get it that's like the old fuddy-duddy way of just like dismissing a younger generation but like you have to at least have moved out of your parents house to have a credible take on the state experience a little bit of life yeah some experience yeah some experience some, necessary. Some tween on there is like, like, hey guys, five reasons why the Chips Act is lit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's like, <laughs> who are the people that you said Number the- one will blow your mind. So stay tuned and smash that like button. Yeah, yeah. And then they'll, they always like queue up their next video. And if you want to know how to XYZ, like and subscribe and watch the next video. Like every time I see a TikTok and it shows like, this they do this with a uh, cop interaction videos all the time, which I am a sucker for. Um, but as soon as I see like that, it's part one. I'm just like, I'm out. I'm not going to watch any more of this because they're going to get me right to the point where it's getting good. And then they're going to try to make me watch another video. And I'm not going to be a bitch to the algorithm like that. That makes me so <laughs> mad. I feel like I'm getting cocked every time that happens. <laughs> To keep edging you. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. It's I just want to see a man get tased through his cracked window at a border crossing. That's all. I, the amount of videos I've seen that start with a guy have his windows three quarters of the way down, and the cops like, "Can you roll your window down? It is down. Please roll your window down. It's already down. I need you to roll your window down, sir. My window's down. I'm within my legal rights to to not roll my window down any more than I already have. It's like I cannot believe." I, it, it's like watching a toddler argue with their parents about something. It's it's it's, it's funny, okay, because you mentioned that in Back to the City. Um, whenever cops was like really big in the nineties, in Albuquerque here, we had a big crime problem in the nineties. A lot of people were coming from L.A. because they realized that Albuquerque was the prime spot to come and sell drugs and things like that, like the height of gangster rap and stuff like that. So we had a real bad problem, and it got to the point that cops was getting so much material here that the current mayor had to be like, you guys can't come in film here anymore. You're making us look bad. Cause you just constantly, <laughs> cause they had so, so many episodes and everybody just looked like insane. 
And so the mayor is like, yeah, no more. You guys can't. So they, we were one of the cities they had to stop coming to because the mayor didn't want that, that image put forth. <laughs> That's so You know more than shut that down and then you got Breaking Bad. Oh, yeah. And then Breaking Bad comes along. That's a whole nother level. Yeah. That that got a lot of people back into meth. You know, you got to give them credit for that. <laughs> that shit, it was huge. I can't even tell you. They We have somebody owns the RV from the show and they actually do tours around the city for people whenever they're visiting and stuff like that. It's like, oh, it always man. trips me out. Like the oh, way it's such a Comic-Con dude. It, but, oh, yeah, it really is. <laughs> it's like the guy the guy who who recreates like the 60s batmobile and then just like tows it around to comic cons like making $300 a weekend yeah he just looks miserable but everything he has is this like uh halloween city car yeah <laughs> you know? his wife already left him both of his children don't talk to him anymore it's literally all he has left like someday like every time <laughs> Every time I see it, though, I'm going to go, oh, shit, that's the Batmobile. Then I'm going to stop and look. It's still going to get my attention every time. He's like Jamie Foxx in Collateral, but instead of like a limo company, he's like, someday I'm going to buy a DeLorean. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to turn this thing up to 11. I didn't, this is because I'm not a car person. <laughs> I didn't know a DeLorean was an actual vehicle for uh, until probably into my uh, mid to late twenties. So you're welcome for another embarrassing bit of information about some, my lack some of knowledge. Would describe it as a vehicle. Yeah, <laughs> dude. Okay, so you we before we uh, hit record, we we talked briefly about your vast library of comic books that you yeah. have behind you. It looks like oh you've got a sampling of everything. Yeah, literally everything. I mean, we have one. There's a couple homemade shelves, but it's like these shelves here, I got about another eight or ten scattered throughout the home. There's a couple of ones behind here that you can't see. I a couple of years ago, I mean, I always had a collection. Like I said, it's my one vice. I've been collecting comics since I was little. Since I was about eight, ten, I started becoming a serious comic collector. And oh, wow. most people, most people when they're collecting comics, they hit a point in their life where they meet girls or they go to college and <laughs> kind of fall away. And then eventually they come back to it or something. I never had that. It was always there. Every Wednesday I was at the comic book store waiting to get my new comics and stuff. And so I've always kind of had them. And then a little bit before COVID, I was like, I'm missing some books. I need to start filling holes in my collection. And so I started converting like some of my soft cover ones into hardcover ones and things like that. And I had, luckily I had the girlfriend at the time and she's like, seriously, dude, more books. She kept me controlled. But then about two years ago, <laughs> we ended up, she ended up dumping me. And I always made the joke that I was trying to fill a hole because I swear my collection has grown like twice in its size since then. So I have like this massive <laughs> library throughout my house. Uh, like that comic books. I have single comic books in boxes and a filing cabinet and stuff. I have regular novels, art books. It's, it's a little I've been looking at it the past couple of weeks and I'm like, I'm a little out of hand. I need to take a control well, that, a little bit. <laughs> that that breakup point, like that's always a seminal moment in every episode of Hoarders. Like that's when you start pooping in jars. You know? Yep. It's like it either makes you or breaks you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you still have some of the comics from when you were eight, nine, ten? Like you've you held on to all of them? No. 
No, I did for a long time, and I was lucky enough. I was one of the – I collected more. I enjoyed reading than I did more collecting. So to me, mm-hmm. it was just the enjoyment of comics, reading it and the art, obviously. I was always more drawn to the art and stuff like that. So there came a point to where to get the trade paperbacks and the collections like that, I would take my singles, and I would just take a long box to like one of these local stores here in town and just trade it in for store credit and switch over to um to the graphic novels and stuff. And so yeah, I yeah. managed to get rid of a good chunk of my collection that I had been collecting that. So there's still some books that I've had for years and years and years, but a lot of my older ones I think have already been like passed on every yeah. now and every few months because I do this thing double dipping because they've got it. The comic company's got us under this fear that if you're not buying the monthly issue, you're not supporting it. So we might not get a collection of the issues. And it's like, well, shoot, I want this. I want the creators to keep putting out this book. So I buy the singles, then I buy the trade and then maybe they'll do a hardcover collection. And so I buy the hardcover collection. So I'm triple dipping into this stuff. See, I told you it's a problem. So every six months or so, I have to go through all my single issues and go, okay, I got collections of these. Why do I need these? So I got to take them, find some place in town that I could take them and trade them or donate them or do something just to, so I'm not literally hoarders and just have like books everywhere, which I already have. But before the fire department comes in and intervenes. Seriously, there's, there's been plenty of times where I'm like, what's the integrity on the floor in my house? Is it strong enough for this? It has to be strong enough. Dude, I was actually (laughs) going to bring that up. My wife had, um, (laughs) when she was in college, she had a professor who, um, he just is a history professor and any history book he could get his hands on, he bought, um, and he had to have, he had to have like someone come in through into the basement and just kind of like re like structure like add a bunch of structural support to his um under his office because he just had so many books up there it was starting to warp the floors and Jeez, actually get dangerous that's crazy. yeah it's uh, I, mean, I have they're heavy i guess books get pretty heavy i've moved everyone knows what it's like when you move a box of books out of your house uh and you're just like Jesus moving was Christ. the worst thing yeah, when I had to move out of my house and my girlfriend and I got my place, it was like that was it's like moving the books. It's like I seriously, if I move again, this is gonna suck. <laughs> I have, I have that collector's mentality though. It's it's funny though because it's like I said, I call it a vice, but it really is. It's the one that I chose. It's where I focus. But when I find something I like, I need to consume it. It doesn't if it's music and I find an artist, I'm like I need to hear everything you've ever put out. I need to find and discover all of it i find a writer i'm like what's every book you written the same thing with comics i'm like this creator is amazing this artist is amazing what's everything you put out so trying to temper that and kind of control that sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't (laughs) yeah i'm a little that way too i can get i get minor minor like somewhat temporary i always make the joke that like my wife and i can get just we can get into something just enough to spend a whole bunch of money on gear for it and never do it. <laughs> that's kind of how I am about everything. But like, uh, yeah, like artists and, um, authors and so like this year, I, I haven't, I'm like the worst read person in the world. Like I haven't read anything cause we didn't read much when I was in school, you know, at Christian school. But, uh, I found out about, uh, Cormac McCarthy and so I've just been blasting through like his entire catalog and like I've listened, I don't know how many of his books that I've listened to most of them at this point. 
And then I've listened to Blood Meridian three times now <laughs> in the past like four months. That's a lot <laughs> for the same book. And especially I didn't have a ton. It's funny, and you know, it's funny that you said listen because I'm the same way. Because tattooing most of the day, and then in the evenings I come home, and I have to draw for whatever upcoming tattoos I have. So my reading time is slim because by the time I'm done, it's like okay, I'll read, and like 20 minutes into it, I'm like, God, I'm ready for bed. So my passion to read has got me devouring audiobooks too. So it's like if I'm not listening to podcasts, okay, I'm done with my podcast for the day. I guess I'll start in this book. So I'll start listening to this book. So I'm listening to a book. I'm reading a book. I probably have a digital book on my iPad or something that I'm reading here and there. It's like, I don't even know. I don't even know. But I, yeah, same thing. Audiobooks will take me far whenever I'm not listening to the podcast. <laughs> okay. Audiobook, graphic novel, crossover. Uh, do, you, do you like The Dark Tower? I've listened to the first book of the Dark Tower. I think I have. I think I have like the first four physical books of the Dark Tower. I just haven't had found the time to read them yet. I think I even own the graphic novel that they started doing that they did that Marvel put out a few years back from the Dark Tower. I just haven't sat down to read them yet. And I remember listening to the first audio book, but I don't know if my attention span was there because I feel like I have to go back and re-listen to it again. Because yeah, I, I think then I, I get actually... that. I'm like, I think I bought those graphic novels too when they came out because I was like really big on it for a minute and I don't think I've ever read them either. <laughs> <laughs> I've looked at some pictures. It's funny because there's that? stuff that you're... No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say there's stuff that as a geek or whatever called subculture you're into that there's like the pillars of stuff that you should read. Stephen King's The Dark Tower is one of those things. Um Elric from Michael Moorcock is one thing. Lord of the Rings, you know, there's all these seminal books. So every now and then it's like, okay, well, this is really popular. Maybe I should give it a try and get into it. And then half the time you either like it or half the time it's like, okay, I own it. It's on my shelf. Eventually I'll get to it. And I feel there's like I have some quite things a few that things like, like that. <laughs> yeah, there's some things that like you, sometimes you have to like hold yourself back on. You're like, I don't, I'm not ready to invest in this right now i shouldn't start it and then get like a lukewarm feeling from it just because i'm not like ready to listen to it or read it right that's why i don't ever read books i I never start i mean i haven't read outside of reading for school for a little while but it's like that's the hardest part like i i'm i always want to get sucked into a good novel and then i'm like i have this fear of just not liking it enough and then like what I mean, which is stupid because you should just be like, oh, I'm not enjoying it. I won't keep reading it. But then I just feel like it it makes it harder for me to try out a new book. I don't know. It's such a strange because it feels to me like books have always felt like commitments. And then I like my wife will read a book in two days and I'm like, huh, that it's an investment, though, better if because I'm like oh, I'll read a book in a month. Like I have to devote a month to it. I read three pages and I fall asleep. Like it is so challenging for me to finish a book and get sucked into it that I'm like, I kind of like, you know what? You just kind of wait for like the perfect thing and it's obviously not coming along, but you're like, well, I don't want to stop here because I, I something better might be right down the down the road. So I'm like, I'm not going to start this book. I'll, I'll I'll keep looking for something different. And then like five years go by and I haven't read a novel and have never even attempted to find one that I would r- even like. And then I'm like, well, let me just look into some idea. Like I like these concepts. So I'll, 
what kind of novels are there for that? And then you're like that, that idiot side of me. That's just like, Oh, that one's really well known. So I know it's like good, but it's like that mainstream hatred, I guess that plagues you too, where you're just like, it's hard for me to like, even though I would probably love some classic books, I'm like, I can't bring myself to like read them. I don't know why. It's like, oh, I'll just read Mein Kampf again. Yeah. <laughs> What's up? Uh, you don't want to what be if... a poser. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think is uh like, I know there's a so many comic book series, but I feel like there's always some that are like, you know, always in the mainstream. And then, you know, those are the ones that kind of fund companies ability to like to random smaller things that might not have like the the pull or it would need to end up maybe having a cult following at some point down the road after they get canceled uh or someone makes a tv show about it and it has a resurgence but like we we keep we see a lot of that come up there's been a lot of tv on graphic novels what are some like what's like a super over what do you think is like a super overrated comic book series and then what do you think is like a super underrated one that you've loved and hasn't gotten the attention you think it deserves Ooh, oh that's that's a really really good question that's a hard one just because yeah because if it's overrated i'm not gonna waste my time on it <laughs> but I, I know that's no that sounds really really like yeah um no but you know there's only so much money you have to devote to this hobby as it is so if something's like super overrated or if it's just not for me and luckily it's like you're saying, it's not like a novel. A novel is kind of investment. You get halfway and you realize that you're not liking it. You're like, but I'm already halfway through. So I can yeah. either plow through to the end or I could just give up right now and have that disappointment of like, I finished it. I didn't want to go through and maybe it got better. Maybe it didn't. But so luckily with comics, because they come out on a monthly basis, you get to try out a book for a month or two. And if it's really not picking up on you, then you're not feeling it you could drop it and stuff like that um underrated book i mean no my taste isn't like that i'm not picky i'm not too fancy or anything like that i have plenty i have an entire batman shelf and x-men shelf in there and so there's i have all the big fund ones and then i have a bunch of small independent books it's pretty much whatever whatever cancel catches my fancy i guess i didn't really answer that question but it's a hard one <laughs> yeah I would I so uh obviously we've lived through like the Marvel Comics universe just exploding on the big screen. A lot of people are quite over it uh even though they're still making shitloads of money. So that's obviously not the correct perspective, but I was always I was always a huge X-Men fan as a kid. Uh what pulled me into X-Men was that that the obviously the cartoon from the 90s, right? Um, and then when I was in college around, like I was probably 20 at the time. Um, I just had a friend who was, uh, torrenting everything at that time. Everyone had that friend that torrented everything imaginable mm -hmm. and just cause it's there. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, you know, I've always wanted to read some of these comics. I'm never going to go out of my way to buy them at this point. A lot of them are even, not even accessible. Um, I mean, a lot of them were, as you said, like everything gets repackaged into like soft or hardcover packages with like 10 issue runs and stuff like that. And I started buying up a bunch of those for a bit, but there were several that I just couldn't, you know, couldn't get. Um, so my friend, I got, I mean, he sent me a flash drive with all every X-Men comic on it from 
from episode issue one up and through up through like 90 98 i think and i blew through them i just like read and read and read and read and what i thought was so super cool was how well they the the cartoon series like did the biggest story arcs uh, in x-men and that got me so hooked like into that and i always was such a huge x-men fan and then for the rest of my life uh i had to just like i couldn't get people to stop bothering me about new marvel movies that comic book movies that would come out like it's like i like x-men and those movies turned out to be shitty after like x2 and it didn't matter which one came out it was just like i'd get messages and texts bro you want to go see the new i don't i don't want to see captain america i don't want to go see thor i don't care about the avengers i don't care about any of these something about x-men always like just pulled me in and uh, I, I still feel like it's almost like that's another thing that's so big, right? It's so it's such a big universe at this point where it's like how, I don't even wouldn't even know how to get back into it, even if I had like the time and ex- expendable income to just like start like grabbing them again. But that's one thing I wish I didn't fall out of because I I kind of like read through them uh, and then I started signing up to just get them mailed to me monthly and uh, from several different of the story arcs going on. And I, it was so fun. I loved it. And, uh, and then you just like let the subscription lapse. And it's like, I, 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 that's one thing I really regret is like not staying up on, on that. It was a lot of fun and wish I stuck. It's, with um, it's, it's soap opera storytelling, which mm. the X-Men is always good. Comics are one of those things because they do keep you coming back every month. So, you know, a lot of them have cliffhangers or they're telling long stories and stuff to keep you invested and keep you coming. But the X-Men was one of the things that made them really popular was the characters and because it was, it was soap opera. This person was sleeping with this person. This person was this person's child and stuff. And it always makes me think of yeah. soap operas too because I would stay home sick because I had the stomach ache or whatever reason I had the stomach bug and I would stay home with my stepmom and she would watch her soap operas and stuff. And so I'd get invested for those couple days that I was that I was there, I just get all sucked in. Like, what's going on? So the next time you're sick and you're watching, and you're like, wait a minute, wasn't this person with this person? And, you know, it's the same way. With, and it's the same way with the X Men. You can always go back to the X Men and be like, wait a minute, what happened to this person and this person? And it sucks, sucks you like right in. But it's yeah, it's the always is, like this person was bad, but now they're good. But then they're bad again, and now they're just kind of an anti-hero. It's like there's mm-hmm. always a back and forth. Like it's a little, it is dramatic as shit, isn't it? <laughs> Oh yeah. That was one of my first, that was, that was one of my first real pulls into collecting comics. Cause before that it was what I could find at like thrift stores or hand-me-downs and little things like that. But my first comic that I bought off of at a, off a spinner rack at a drugstore that really got me hooked on comics was an X-Men comic. And from there it was just, I was in and never looked back. Who do you think is uh like, sometimes movies are a blessing and a curse because like the the uh dark tower movie is like a particularly bad adaptation is horrible Mm -hmm. like yeah is there any uh what characters do you think like what series or whatever do you think would make a good movie and which ones are you like yeah it'd be cool to see it on screen but like i 
wouldn't trust them to uh to, to honor the source it. material it's it sucks because the few that i think would have made really good ones they've done adaptions of and i haven't cared for them like um right behind me here there's preacher and they did a tv show of that one and the tv That's show right. compared to the comic was kind of like i don't know it wasn't as good as the comic but they've done the boys too where i like the comic book but everybody loves the tv show even people who didn't really care for the comic loved the tv show and i mean that thing is huge yeah. now but then I there's other ones that are really that cool show. was it like a good Amazon. adaptation was it like the same story was it similar uh, there's quite a few things that are similar. The comic book itself is a lot more edgy. The creator of the series has a major distaste for superheroes. So a lot of it is just poking fun at superheroes and superhero tropes and pushing it as extreme as he really could. And okay. then as you get like halfway through the series and you start ramping up towards the end of the series, it starts finding its heart underneath all that extreme stuff. So but the show seems to be it's veered off in a lot of ways, but it makes sense for what they've done yeah. with it. But at the same time, as me being a fan of the series, being a fan of the comic series, I wasn't too big on the show. I guess the changes were enough to bother me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I've heard people who have hated the comic book who really love the show. They feel the show got right what the comic didn't. So it's kind of it's that balance. And there's yeah. even there's even the Amazon show too, the Invincible one, which is a comic book. Yeah, which is one of my is one of my favorite comic books from like the past twenty years, like superhero comics, because it was just done really, really well. And the cartoon seems to be they've made changes to it, but it stays pretty close to the comic and has like a lot of the the same feel and drive from it that I think they did a really good adaption with it. The Sandman show on Netflix is a really good adaption of the show too. Yeah, I think, I, that was a good show too. I, I, I haven't I watched that, that yet. And Invincible yeah, was I fantastic. I loved it. They uh, and we got season two coming out in November, which is sick. Oh yeah, and I think of, of with those ones, the big differences is that like with Sandman, because they have Neil Gaiman, who's the creator of the series, he's the main showrunner on it, so he's able to keep it true to his vision. But there's things that he's changed along the way. He's like, I would have wrote this this way now. 20 years later, this is what I would have changed and done different. So it makes sense with stuff like that. I think Invincible's the same way because the creator is still really involved with the show and stuff. It was, he's the same guy that did the walking dead and stuff. So, Oh really? Yeah. Which are two different, completely different genres. Yeah. So but different. yeah they were, <laughs> uh, one of the things you would, sorry, you, you would... get me talking about comics and I just no, ramble this on. Is, I think this <laughs> is so fun. And this is, this is a topic we probably haven't touched on once in the past few years. So I'm here <laughs> for this. I, uh, you, you had mentioned, uh, you got into art when you were young and you had wanted to do comic book art. Uh, and that didn't you for whatever, for whatever reason you felt like that was not the right direction for you. Um, and it made, you made it sound like, well, I'm not, I wouldn't, I'm not good enough to do that as what it, that's, that's what I heard. So you can correct that, uh, if you want. But, no, no, that's pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was it? What feels so different about, uh, just like, the what what felt different or inaccessible for you about that and then what felt accessible about getting into uh get tattoo tattooing uh comic art leans a lot more it's sequential sequential so you're you got to know storytelling you got to be good with 
you got to be good with your body language of your characters telling stories. Your character's got to look different. Your anatomy's got to be good. People drawing like intense backgrounds and stuff like that, where I could probably do a pretty mediocre comic, but it's not going to be anywhere near what I think should be good quality art. Whereas tattoo art, it's, it's a much more graphic image where you can still have a sense of storytelling to your image. Your image could still tell a story. You're not trying to do three panels conveying whatever emotions and whatever you're doing to push the story aside. It's a lot more tattooing is a lot more um, commercial art almost in a way. And because we're given, we're given this one image that the customer wants, whether it's 20 ideas in this one image that we got to put to, to make them happy and stuff like that. So, and I think that's where I, my strength was as an artist was a lot more, it's just an illustrator and even almost a graphic designer after my tattoo apprenticeship, I went into to graphic design school and actually have an associate's in graphic design, advertising art. And I think that helped me a lot when it came to being an artist and just even my sense of design and stuff when it came to my art and improving me as a tattoo artist. Hmm. Dude, you've had to have like had to draw and do some tattoos that you thought were ridiculous over the years. Oh. You? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah, I would love I would love to hear some like tattoo horror stories. Either people like freaking out or just giving you like a really bad idea or like <laughs> you know it's, it's funny cuz people all the time they ask me like what's your what's the craziest tattoo? I must not have a very low constitution when it comes to stuff cuz there's not too much that surprises me. But as far as nightmare clients go, I've had people cussing at the top of their lungs. I've had people screaming to the point that they're apologizing to everybody else in the shop. Like, oh my God, I'm sorry. It's not him. It's me. I swear. And we're just, everybody, myself included, we're all just sitting there rolling our eyes. Like, it's almost done. It's oh almost my God. done. <laughs> Every now and then, and there was, I, it's funny, there was one time I had this girl and it was her first tattoo. And she was, she was young. She was maybe like about 18 or so. And she was excited to get the tattoo and her boyfriend was excited for her to get the tattoo but she was getting herself so worked up that she was like practically crying she was sitting on this floor in a panic attack i'm telling her you don't have to do this if you don't want to do this and her boy and her boyfriend's like come on babe it's real small it'll be done she's just freaking and we had like three false starts it was to the point where you don't want to do this it's okay we don't have to do this and she finally she's like okay i don't want to do this oh my you know i've had I've had people pass out. I've had people throw up. It's yeah, it's it's intense sometimes. But, uh, did you get the, some warning on the throw ups, or did they just sort of um, do it? Every now and then, no. Luckily, we can usually catch it in time. Sometimes it's like a split second. They're like, "I don't feel good. I'm gonna throw up," and you're like, "You're just reaching with your glove to drag the trash as close as you can to them." And you're like, "Here, throw up in this," because what it is is you get you're so worked up that you get almost like a glucose drop. So if you're a diabetic, it would be the same thing as like a, a low blood sugar drop. So you get real clammy, lightheaded, all the color drains from your face. You feel like huh. you're going to pass out or you feel like you're going to throw up or crap yourself. You get all these things. So sometimes I've gone to the point to where I warn clients, like if you start feeling clammy or lightheaded in any way, let me know. We'll get you some water, some sugar. But sometimes that doesn't work for people. And they're just like, I'm not feeling good. And next thing you know, they're either about ready to topple over and you're trying to catch them or like that where you have to drag the trash can and they're just, and you're just like, oh, right. we're going to be throwing that. <laughs> we, uh, a friend and I were just talking about how, so I, I don't have any tattoos. 
Um, I have just started. There's a. I just finally had. I've been looking around for an artist whose work in this area that I like, but I'm so okay. I think we can parallel my uh, the reason I don't start books to also the same reason I don't have a tattoo. I'm like terrified that like it, it has to be perfect. I have to like people be like, this is a good artist. And I'll look at their website and I'm like, sure. But like, also I don't see it and go, I love it. I'm here. I'll do it. Like, and until I see that I'm, I'm not interested. Um, so I finally found one in, in the Boston area that I messaged and I'm like, I want to, I'm moving forward with it. Or I believe I am. We'll see. I'm a, I, I, I don't follow through on things. Great. But <laughs> Uh, but so I was talking to my friend, um, who has several tattoos and I was like, man, another fear is like that, you know, you'll, as soon as they hit you with the, like, as soon as they hit you with it, you're going to like, ah, and you flinch and that you'll end up with like a ridiculous line or something that they have to figure out how to cover up is, and my friend was like, I, he's like, I always feel that way before I get one. And then I never do. Cause you're kind of, you're like, your body has it like your body kind of just knows not to do that. But I'm wondering if that's always true or has anyone flinched and ended up with, uh, I, you guys obviously accommodate for movement pretty well. And I think that I think, I think being a tattoo artist is something that people find to be one of the coolest jobs. I think no one, no one meets a tattoo artist and isn't like has a bunch of questions and thinks it's fucking sick. So, but now I'm being uh, now I'm going off on a tangent. Do has no, anyone I, ever I, flinched? Has anyone ever flinched and like fucked up like their tattoo? I've been doing it long enough that I can usually tell when the body jumps that I know to lift my hand and catch it. But every now and then there's those people that you're working on them and they just jump so hard and that clean line that you're trying to do just goes boop <laughs> and you just sigh and you kind of look at it and you kind of just you kind of just fix it up every now and then there's been people that have had uncontrolled like i've had a couple people where i'm tattooing say like their calf or something and their foot's literally going like this i'm i'm trying to hold it down and work <laughs> and i'm pulling my line like a 16th at a time because every time i touch them they're doing this and it's fighting me that i've had to tell them, you know if you stayed still this would be a lot better i did what i can but this is what you got. Most of the time they're like, sorry, sorry, sorry. But every now and then they do those hard jumps where you get that squiggly line. You're like, I tried to fix that. Just so you know, that's, that's on you. You should have stayed still. Like we, like I was telling you to, but it's Just a commitment, you know, in. for like for you, you would be surprised how many people I hear that are like, I love tattoos and I'd like to get a tattoo. I just don't think I could commit to having something on my body for the rest of my life. And there's so many people that I've seen that are like that. And for me, like bad. I feel like I think for you me, should uh, stop overthinking it and just go with the classic, <laughs> like a little anchor right on your pubis chub, or maybe like uh, a rose, like on the back of your calf. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, you know, a classic mom tattoo. You can never go wrong with that. I like when you get when people get enough tattoos where they can just start doing anything they want, and it doesn't matter. That I think is like the coolest lane to be in. Where oh, it, yeah. it, when you start out with silly tattoos, you kind of look like an asshole or just like a crust punk. A lot of crust punks went in that direction. <laughs> but like when you finally just have enough and it's just like, fuck it. Not like you can just get anything anytime, whenever you want is 
pretty cool, but it just it takes too long to get there. But I feel like it's less about like the idea or concept of something that I want forever. Like, what do I like that I'll want on my body forever? That's kind of irrelevant to me. Uh, and I'm glad I went through my Christian phase before getting a bunch of like shitty Christian tattoos. Uh, that would have been interest crosses and stuff on unfortunate. you. Unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, Bible quotes. Yeah. Oh, I had some bad ideas, real bad ideas. Um, but I feel like as long as like you find the uh, artist that you like it and the art is dope, then who, I, to me, it's the, the concept is less relevant than just the quality of the art. And I feel like now, like that's why, I'm, because even some of the ideas I have, my wife is like, that's kind of a dumb idea. I'm like, well, I like it. And even if like I don't like Hill the idea later, John. it'll still, uh, it'll still look cool. And that's all that matters. Yeah, no, there's plenty. Of, I've, there's plenty of people I tattoo that all my tattoos have meaning and this one's for this and this. And most of us, especially like tattoo artists, a lot of us, so that was just fucking cool. That was a cool idea we had and we decided to do it. Most of my yeah. stuff that I have on my body is just all, oh, that's cool. I want to do that. And, you know. I've seen some of the stupidest tattoos because tattoo artists are like, ah, you know, it's funny. We should do this. And the other tattoo is like, all right, let's do it. You know, you have plenty of friends. When you're a tattoo artist, you have plenty of friends that whenever you toss out stupid ideas, there's always somebody who's like, yeah, let's yeah. do that. And you, you brush shoulders with so many artists that you know and respect and like. Some of it's just wanting them, wanting their work done too, I'd imagine. Oh, yeah, it's, just, it's, another, it's another level of collecting. Yeah. Like, oh, mm. this person's dope. I want something from them. You know, that's, yep. there's plenty, there's plenty of people that I tattoo and they're just like, you're my artist. I'm going to come to you for everything. But then like myself and even so many other people that I tattoo too, where they're like, I want to get tattooed by everybody at the shop and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, do that. Experience it. Go get all this different art and do, I'm not, yeah. you don't have to like, how dare you cheat on me with other artists, you know, nothing <laughs> like that. I'm like, hell yeah, go do it. Dude, I would love to be like a magic eight ball of tattoo ideas for people. I feel like Obviously, I could do that cool. really well. Like, You're like anytime somebody's idea, deliberating, man. you just like send me a text and I just spit out an idea, you know, like a have... chain link fence, but made of sausage <laughs> <laughs> around it. I don't know. Funny, we have this uh, one artist at our shop and he's so good when it comes to when it comes to like turn of phrases and stuff, or even just taking like two things like that, like sausage and chain link fence. And he will completely just draw something around that idea. And it's all, you always look at it and you just go, that is ridiculous, but that is the dopest image I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Some people are so good at that and it trips me out. It blows my mind, but yeah, he's, I, I we would have a cup, two cups whenever you're short an idea and just have different ideas in them and you just pull two random images and you got to make something out of them and every time he would just it's like oh you son of a bitch uh he tattooed this one uh friend of our all of ours and he did like a pirate booty and it was literally somebody uh, a booty with like where it's chopped off like a, a booty torso so it's basically like the waist the booty up to the top of the thighs and then it was like decked out like a pirate this is most hilarious. <laughs> it's like stuff like that. It's just what the hell? Like a like a leggings mannequin in a, a Latino store. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what is that wouldn't okay, be so funny so... if I didn't have to drive by so many places like that growing up. <laughs> Dude, they're keeping that mannequin that the half mannequin trade in business for sure. Oh yeah. 
<laughs> is there is there anything that like you being in that industry and hearing and seeing so many ideas like spitballed and storyboarded is there anything that like immediately like when you hear it you're like that is super lame and i hate it oh yeah um a lot of it comes from clients which i don't think anybody's going to hear this you know what i mean but sometimes because a lot of it gets filtered where I have the people that message me directly and that talk to me directly. But a lot of the stuff that comes to the shop, it goes through our counter person and she'll look at emails and she'll be like, what do you think of this? Does it sound like something you want to do? And you just see it and you see the customer's ideas and you're just like, yeah, no, that's not for me. I, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so it happened. It happens quite a few times a week. You'd be surprised every now and then it's something that I just look at and go, Oh yeah, I can't do that. That's like far above my ability to do, but we could recommend them. But most of the time it's like, they want to get what? They're like, no, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And it's, and it's, and tattooing is not. We're not special enough that we're that we we're not affected by trends too. So tattooing goes uh, through trends too. So something becomes popular, all of a sudden everybody wants that, and you realize you've tattooed this tat this one tattoo or this certain style of tattoo so much for the past few months you're just like no more no more everybody's just bringing you like their head hardy jeans you know like the back pocket on my chest <laughs> exactly uh, like the biggest ones you see are like lions and roses and stopwatches stuff like that <laughs> trees <laughs> for some reason i do a lot of trees that was there was the whole fate. It, it seems like it's slowly starting to trickle down, but where everybody wants like the nature scene on their arm. So it'll just be a silhouette of a forest just wrapping around like their arm or something. And yeah, it's, I've that one seems to be that's a better down. idea for like the back window of your grand Cherokee, maybe than your arm. Yeah. Yeah. Right above your, I love gun sticker and <laughs> Trump. <laughs> It makes a it makes for a better uh, tire cover on the back of your Jeep Wrangler. It's more Jeep exactly. I it that dude. It's funny that you mentioned lions because Instagram just uh, anytime you hit the search button, it just shows you everything it thinks you want to see. And I see like constantly uh, shoulder like lions on shoulders, and um, it's like lions. You mentioned stopwatches. I feel like compasses have always been huge since I was in college. I just I've known countless people to get some variation of like a compass tattoo. Um, but yeah, it's, it, that is interesting to think of it in as trends and that you actually end up tattooing variations of the same thing. So the hardest part is trying to make them different because there's like yeah. only so many, unless I'm out in nature and actually photographing like lions in the wild and stuff there's only so deep into google or the library that i could research pictures to find different lions because look at lion tattoos. go go to google and look at lion tattoos and look at how many of those tattoos you can see use the same reference for each one yeah at some point you just if it's like if you're really attached to that idea like there's tattoo artists who have their own unique there's, everyone has their own unique style uh so at that point it's just like i'm getting a redundant idea so i just need to find the absolute best person to do it so it stands out artistically i guess and i always try because there's people that'll come to you and they're they'll show you like a picture on their phone and they're not showing you like a picture or something like they're showing you a picture of somebody else's tattoo that they like and you're like okay so this is a tattoo that 
somebody already has on them. So let me, so the only thing I can ever really do most of the time, if it's something extremely unique that that artist did for this person, you usually tell them that's, that's probably not for you. That's something that was specifically created for this person. Let's do something else. But most of the time, if it's like a day of the dead girl with roses or something that they're showing a tattoo, I will at least try to put my own spin on it. I'll use my own reference for things. I'll rebuild it to where the way they want it, but I'll try to do everything by my own hand as opposed to just taking the tattoo image and copying it outright, which you see a lot of the times because it's funny because there's pages I follow tattoo pages where they'll show people that copied other people's tattoos and it'll be like a chest tattoo and it had like the nipple in it. So whenever they did the the bad copy of it, the copy had like the little nipple oh, in no. the tattoo too. So you see stuff like that. <laughs> That's, That's amazing. <laughs> you got some other dude's nipple tattooed above your own nipple. <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh. I need okay, to follow right, more bad I want to throw out some things, and you tell me if you've been a part of tattoos that included these things. Okay. Okay. Um, some sort of the Joker quote or reference or picture. Um, I've done I've done quite a few Jokers. I've done the ha ha ha's from the Joker. I've done images of the Joker comic book. I haven't done any of the movie ones, but I've done comic book Joker quite a few times. <laughs> One with the camera, the killing joke one. I've done that one once. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, have you ever tattooed someone's fursona on them? Their persona? They're Fur- like, oh, you know they're what? a furry? I've, I've been, no, no, no. Luckily, I haven't done anything like that. I've tattooed people that have pinup portraits of themselves on them. I've seen that. A few times old they got themselves like, tattooed on themselves yeah but like as a pinup and stuff like that that's nuts that's a that's a level of nuts that i've never really even thought about before that's i've seen it a handful wow. a handful of times <laughs> have you ever tattooed a constitution on someone um i've done the opening we the people Yep, I've done the opening <laughs> statement from the Bill of Rights. I've done, yeah, I've done my fair share of that. People that take quotes and stuff from the Constitution or the Bill of Rights. I've done Bible quotes, not just like the Leviticus 13, 16, whatever, anything like that, but like full on quotes. And where you have oh, to tell people, text. like, if you want, if you want this whole thing, it's going to have to be about like this big because there's no way you're fitting it in an area this big to actually heal and look good over time. So, yeah, I've done like entire rib cages with just Bible quotes and constant uh, Bill of Rights quotes and stuff. And giant text tattoos have always are very like some words obviously fine, but when it's like a huge amount of text, it's like maybe that take that it. idea and turn it into a picture. That would have probably been a little bit better for you. What about? Uh, I'm guessing you've done plenty of um. American eagles cloaked in flags or some variation of a flag behind an eagle. Oh yeah. Nice. Eagles flags. I've done, <laughs> I've done as many Patriot tattoos. We, we actually have uh, a giant air force base here in Albuquerque. So we get plenty of military people. So I've done a lot of my share of that stuff. Oh yeah. 
I want you to match the, I want my arm to have the same artwork as the airbrush design on my, on my road glide. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. <laughs> Molan Labe, have you done that one? Yep, I have. I've done that one quite a few times. I've done uh, variations on that one too, where they have like the Spartan soldier going with it and everything too. And so, yeah. Uh, portrait of Donald Trump. No, thank God. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Any other political figure? No, luckily nobody's ever asked me for a political figure. I remember there was that we had a local artist here in town that I know that whenever Bernie was at the, whatever it was, and he was sitting there in his coat with his little, on his chair that everybody made the meme out of, yeah. uh, one of our local artists was one of the first ones to tattoo that image. And I remember it went like viral for it, but oh, no, that's luckily I've never done a, I've never done that. I've if done I like Ted Bundy. You, and stuff. Uh, <laughs> you've done Ted Bundy. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. I've done, I've done my fair share of portraits, whether they be like actors and movie stars and things like that, serial killers and stuff, horror movie things. But luckily that's... I stayed away from political. <laughs> That's taking the I Like True Crime podcast as a persona. Like, that's taking uh, it too far. When oh, you're yeah. having murderers tattooed on yourself. Yeah, yeah. There's a disconnect from what actually happened and just it being strictly entertainment for you at that point. Yeah, you're like, oh, yeah. I, I wanted his picture because I'm fascinated by the way he raped. Yeah. <laughs> Justice for Ted. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> what about, uh, like strange product placement um i have done i've done my share of logos whether they're sports teams uh there was a time whenever that like famous star the families whatever it was is like a sharp angular f i think it was famous something i don't remember what it was oh, but i did yeah, quite a yeah. few of those and yeah every now and then there's a brand or something that becomes just absolutely popular I haven't done anything ridiculous where somebody's getting like a Mountain Dew logo and they're just like, I love Mountain Dew or anything <laughs> nope. like that, luckily, but no it's just whatever hot brand. People that want like Versace and Louis Vuitton and things like that on them. And Okay. So no KFC, Taco Bell, no, Jimmy John's. Luckily. Okay. <laughs> luckily, nothing yet. Never yeah. say never. <laughs> Because most um, of the time people are coming, are you like, you sure you want this? And they're like, yeah. It's like, All right, then. I guess we're doing if this. You're, if your tattoo artist is asking if you're sure, it's just a bad, just take the hint. It's a bad idea. Go home and rethink it. <laughs> exactly. Most of the time, you know, but the they're ethical never asking, are you sure? Because like, it's the most badass tattoo they've seen. Exactly. Yeah, are you sure you're cool enough for this awesome much. tattoo? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like are you sure you want to do this you got to think about this especially like young kids that want to tattoo their hands or their throats or their face or something it's like are you, are you sure you're still kind of young you got a whole life ahead of you that's not yeah you try your best to talk them out of it but <laughs> walk into the a bird you know is always a good decision you know yeah right what about okay have you overwritten old like someone's tattoo that they regretted oh yeah all the time all so the that's time. frequent. Definitely. <laughs> is it is it usually like uh no regrets? Yes, no this is a this is a good decision. <laughs> no, it's nothing like that. Usually it's like names, so breakups and stuff. <laughs> of course. 
It's so wild what people think is a good idea. It you you come face to face with bad ideas that people think are good ideas more than anyone else in the general public. Oh yeah. Okay, one one last one. Um All right. Have you ever cuz I'm sure you get a lot of uh it's a confessional in the in the tattoo chair, I'm sure. So, have you ever been giving someone a tattoo and they're telling you the the story of why they did like like yeah my girl's wants to you know split and you know i just want to show her how much she means to me by getting this tattoo <laughs> uh yeah i have seen that a few times where people, <laughs> this is good this is going to save our relationship right here i'm getting this tattoo hopefully hopefully it makes her not mad at me i've had that happen a few times and yeah, it doesn't go the way they want it to go. <laughs> wow. That is so, dude, the thought process behind that is hard to, it's like, it's th- just be a little self-reflective and realize that it's that thought process that's probably ending your relationship. Mm-hmm. Dude, that's great exactly. for you, though. That's repeat business, guaranteed. <laughs> like, hey, yeah. you, just a like list you want me names. to, uh, you know, just turn this into like, uh, you know, a muscle car with a, a crazy rat driving it, like come back in six months, you know? <laughs> exactly. Um, for the longest time, for like half of my career, if people came in and they wanted like a name of their significant other or something, you try to tell them, you know, are you sure? Are you sure this is really something you want? There's always that like jinx to it where eventually it's going to cause like you're not meant to be by doing this and stuff. And so a lot of the times I tell people, you know, you'd walk them through the whole spiel, but then it hit a point to where you realize that most people didn't care. So you just stop. I just stopped. It's like, this is what you want. All right, let's do it. And then if they come back to get it covered up, well, <laughs> yeah, hey, perfect. Double yeah. price to get it covered. Exactly. <laughs> oh, like you knew better, but I, I'm one to talk. I've, I've done it. I've had, two of my ex-wives names on me and even knowing better, I still did it and I had to cover them up myself. So <laughs> dude, All number right. three, go for the gusto and do your forehead. Right. Just really <laughs> put it out there. Show my commitment. <laughs> I really appreciate your self-disclosure here. That shows you're an absolute real one. Just not hiding it. Yeah. You're, you're, you're part of this. You're also part of the group that you're making fun of a I, little bit. And I like that. Oh Yeah. I deserve the back of my neck for my third love, Christine. May this last forever. Third time's (laughs) a charm. Hell yeah. (laughs) Carlos, this has been a lot of fun, man. I really appreciate you joining us. It's been great meeting you, uh, getting to talk to you for the past hour and a half. You're, uh, appreciate you, man. Uh, I've enjoyed our interactions online and, uh, it's nice to do this. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on. Like I said, I really enjoy listening to the podcast and stuff. Every Usually whenever you guys drop the new episode that day, that next day, I'm pretty much listening to it. I enjoy it. Thank you. Even whenever you have on the the more interesting um, couples going around singing around the country. <laughs> <laughs> My yeah. favorite Christian influencer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was a good time. <laughs> Yeah, no, but I do. I appreciate you guys having me on. It was a good time. Well, where can people follow you? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram is usually the best way. Stolen Heart Tattoo is the best way to find me. You'll find all my fun 
tattoos and stuff that I post. Right now, I'm taking part in the Inktober challenge. So every day has just been a different piece of art freaking off of a, a prompt that's been given to us by some list. So oh, cool. And then you can look at my stories, which are absolute chaos and maddening and all over the place. That's where I put all the fun stuff. The page nice. is professional, and then the stories are wild. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're in the Albuquerque area, going to pass through, maybe taking a vacation, definitely look them up if you're looking for a new tattoo as well. Yeah, you want to get some Joker ha ha ha's on the back of your left hand. Yep, I've done I've done the I've done the Joker mouth with, that matches up like that too. It's, Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> <Veteran>. oh, boy. <laughs> well, thank you for your service, Carlos. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks thank everybody you guys. for listening, <laughs> and uh, we will see you next time. 